this is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Bailock. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order to release. This week we're eating the stalest bread, the reddest of wines, and once again, stomach cancer as we watch mm-hmm. Spine 222 in the Criterion Collection, Robert Bresson's Diary of a Country P- Priest from 1951. But first, hey, RJ, we have, uh, a, we have a guest. What? We have a returning guest. <laughs> you didn't tell me about this. Well, <laughs> You don't tell me anything. I don't really get it. Like People think I'm kidding and it's all joke and it's h- tough being the number one podcast, but uh, I don't know any of these things. Who is it? I Oh, I see him. Oh, yes. Man. Uh, returning to the the Creeps podcast is friend of the show Justin Peterson. Hi, Justin. Hey, everyone. I got my uh, my beer and my my bread ready. Um, wasn't able to get to the store. It's you know quarantine and all to get that wine. Yeah. But uh, yeah, ready to talk about a grim movie about a sad bastard. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I thought uh, the beer and bread was just uh, the protocol that you had for being on the podcast, because I usually have a loaf of bread here, too, for sampling. Uh, and as always, I do have my, my oh, PBR. Very nice. Well, it's um, it's cheap. And uh, so am I. But uh, how you doing, Justin? You looking good over there. You got some nice headphones uh, and uh, your setups changed a little bit. Things it yeah. seems like podcasting's been nice to you in the last year. <laughs> yeah, the Average Joe's uh, Movie Club cast that um, I host with my buddy uh, Joey. Yeah, we're about twenty episodes mm-hmm. in, and so yeah, I've been taking a lot of tips from you guys and um, with my setup. And yeah, now I have I swung by work last week because yeah, I'm working from home, and I got the the additional monitor and uh, got a little bit better of a mic now. And yeah, I'm uh, getting used to this podcasting deal, uh, one episode at a time, really. Well, you already look more professional than either of us. So uh, I would say don't take any tips from us. Maybe <laughs> me. I know a lot about uh, podcasting and editing and things like that. But uh, definitely don't listen to Jared. Right, Jared? A few, a few right. weeks ago, I sent you guys a picture of my desk and it had my uh, big Gamecock flag on there. And mm. so tonight I wore my uh, Go Cox shirt. So you Ooh. guys will always, always remember the Gamecocks of South Carolina. We'll get those confused with the Razorbacks of Arkansas. Hmm. I I was just going off of what Jarrett was describing auto like uh, verbally. So uh, <laughs> I, I just took a I took a stab in the dark. I was like, maybe it's a Razorback or a Terrapin. Who knows? But it's I like that. Colors, so, yeah. yeah, I like that cock shirt though. We can uh, screenshot that and put it on the uh, Criterion Creeps Instagram and and then uh, we'll blur your face out for your benefit because you don't want to you don't want that kind of <laughs> evil coming your way uh, with your picture. No. But yeah, right, I'm glad to see you're wearing the the nice bright uh, red headphones there, just like me. So <laughs> my Lamborghini red, hot rod red, however you want to <laughs> describe it, man. It's uh, I'm in the zone now. All I hear is Jarrett 24 seven because I don't take them off because they're wireless. So okay. he's at work, I, he's going to the bathroom, all sorts. But I gotta keep the the one ear popped out. I gotta have, have the ambient sound around me. I don't oh, think I could be all all podcast. Oh, I like that style. Oh man, it's different. I'm a, I'm gonna try it out. I'll alternate back and forth. So, Justin, I, was, I, yeah. sh- I should ask yeah. you uh, very quick. You had mentioned that uh, the podcast you're doing on the, on the YouTube, you're you're wrapping up the season. So, I mean, what are you going to mm-hmm. do? With, I mean, you have all this free time now with with quarantine. I mean, this is this should be uh, some you... prime time for some recording, right? Yeah, <laughs> we've we've actually have picked up some momentum. Um, so, like our first season, we kind of just picked a bunch of random movies. Um, 
a lot of movies like from famous directors that maybe won't be like the first on your choice. So like the, the podcast gave us an excuse to actually push those to the front. Like um, I watched Haneke's uh, The White Ribbon, mm-hmm. which that was a little bit down my wrist list. So I saw that sooner than I might have. Uh, Noah Baumbach's Kicking and Screaming. Actually, our most popular episode is um, uh, we need to talk about Kevin. That one has a couple hits on the YouTube, which cool. um yeah, but um, yeah, we're starting to pick up some of them, and I'm getting on our groove. Um, yeah, just been cooped up, working from home. Just got this huge project done. Um, I've been working on it since the end of last summer, so that's a huge weight off my shoulders having that done. Things should slow down a little bit at work, and um, yeah, help educate my kiddos. They're not <laughs> they're not too into doing the worksheets and stuff at home, so uh, gotta gotta chip in. You could teach them how to edit podcasts together, and then that would be one one thing that you could check off. And you hey, there's not, nothing that says that season one and season two can't be like a week apart from each other. You, there's been a few times I've, uh, <laughs> I've been recording like a, um, a kid's soccer video or whatever. I'm like, here, wife, um, my wifey, can, uh, can you edit this for me? And she's like, no, I don't do that. But like, well, what if I pass away? No one's going to make my like remembrance video when I make everybody else's. I think Jarrett would probably morbid, uh, step up to that, right, Jer? Uh Yeah, I've done it before. <laughs> what, made a memoriam video? Yep. Oh, <laughs> man. They're, they're, they're well appreciated. It's a good thing to do. Yep. It's, it's, okay. it's pretty straightforward, but, you know, it's, the, it's kind of, yeah, it's better than paying the funeral home a lot of money to do it for you. That's for sure. Hmm. So, have you guys gone on any interesting uh, shopping trips? Mm, no. You know what? I uh, Actually, since we recorded last week, I have not been to the grocery store yet. But it's coming up. It's coming up really close. Uh, since then, they, they've uh, now recommended going out with masks uh, at mm-hmm. this point. So, I'm, I'm kind of curious now that, like, if I get to wear my uh, Bandito mask, if uh, people mm-hmm. just, like, keep an additional meter or so away from me. Uh, mm-hmm. just because I, I'm a man in a mask. Well, we'll see. I don't know. Some people will say, will say, whatever. I'm still going to like get way too close to you because I want that banana that you're going to grab. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. Nothing too crazy though. I've been enjoying the, uh, the internet memes of people with their, uh, impromptu masks, like suitcase yeah. luggage hoods over their faces and oranges <laughs> and plastic bags. But how about you two? Uh, I'm still uh, reeling from uh, our prime minister yesterday was talking about speaking moistly and uh, it set the uh, the internet on fire. I don't know if you caught wind of that in South Carolina, but uh, he was talking about we should wear masks because it prevents you from yeah. speaking moistly. And then he, he caught himself. He paused. He said, that's kind of gross. Right, Jared? That's an exact quote, right? Uh, yeah, speaking. Yeah, he said, hey, don't speak moistly. <laughs> moistly. Uh, yeah, I, I don't recently know. they came up with a, um, a mandatory stay-at-home order. So um, more things are supposed to be closed, and I think less people are allowed in the stores. Um, on Saturday, I went to – I had an epic grocery store visit. Uh, got all kinds of snack food, junk food for the kiddos. Um, and I made the mistake of go- pulling up to, like, the checkout area that has, like, the smallest amount of space mm. to put, like, this – cartload of stuff on so as quickly as i was like putting it up on the like the thing she was bagging it and so it was kind of a workout getting all that um checked out of the store and then the following day um yeah 
so we we have Easter on the horizon, so got to get the Easter baskets ready for the kiddos. And so, um, yeah, so a basketball goal was kind of what I was thinking. And in order to pick up said basketball goal, I didn't have to go to one Walmart, <laughs> two Walmart, three Walmart, but four Walmarts to find said basketball goal because their their website's a fucking liar. So, <laughs> <laughs> could you uh, explain what a basketball goal is? Do you mean like the like the rim and the net, or is this some new South Carolina thing? It's one of the portable ones. So you put you have like the plastic base you fill up with water, and you put that bad boy in the driveway or in the backyard, gotcha. and the kids gotcha. can uh, do little hoops um, practice. Did you know that basketball was invented in Canada, and they used peach baskets? <laughs> I'm not making that I, up. I know, but that, sound, I, that doesn't sound true at all. I'm that, not this. Well, I, I just like that RJ just drops this uh, this uh, Canadian trivia. Um, so, because you don't, you don't, you don't do your research on any movie we watch. But you got that. You got that. You know your basketball. You know about your your baskets I, and your hoops and. I know stuff. So Andrea does this all the time because she's she's like about ninety percent of what you say is total horseshit. She's like, but you believe it, and you try to convince other people to believe it. And I'm like, I think ninety percent's a little bit of an exaggeration, but there are certain things I know. But people never believe me now because I'll, I'll like say something and they'll be like, we don't believe you, and I'll be like, it's a hundred percent true. Like when I was in Colorado last month, I was talking to like guys I knew down there, and uh, I can't remember what it was, but it got brought up. Um, or we were talking about the people on our bills because we were showing them our money, how it's like clean, like you can clean it because it's plastic. And I was like, we were talking about the tents, how John A. McDonald used to be on it, the first prime minister. And then I mentioned how he was an infamous ba- uh, train robber and uh, they didn't believe me and they still don't believe me. And I was like, it's true. He was robbing trains. You he have was plastic the first- bills in Canada? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh. It's re- they're really nice. You can't it's rip like them. like Monopoly money? Well, no, that's paper too. <laughs> it's paper too. No, they're hey, like they're, laminated. No, no they're, they're like they're, they're actually it's like a plastic. it's like a polymer sort of thing. Like yeah. it's a yeah, it, they're they're you get used to them. The one problem though is they they uh, they like to stick together. So you got to make yeah. sure you're handing them over to people properly and you count it out because many mm. a times, even in my uh, part time retail job, people are a little too generous with those twenty dollar bills, and you're like, gotta watch yourself, folks. Mm-hmm. But you can hit them with some Lysol spray. And then wipe them off, and they don't melt or anything. So that's nice. Yeah, but we have a spring break coming up next week, so we won't have Ooh. to you know, hit the books quite as hard with the kids. But uh, yeah, it kind of seems like the writing's on the wall for them canceling the rest of the school year through May. Oh yeah, uh, but we'll see. Oh uh, yeah, I, I I I think school's going to be done for this year. I think I just did see that. I think Washington State has uh, announced that the school year's done, and I think that'll uh, roll out. Because I mean, by the time like. Middle of June hits. It's like, well, is there any point of going back to school? Are these kids going to want to go to school during the summer? Nobody. Nobody wants that. Mm-hmm. So, so it goes. So it goes. What about so you, RJ? What? Got any uh, grocery store tales? Uh, I went to the Costco yeah. uh, a couple days ago, and that was pretty good. I would say out of all the stores I've been to, the Costco is the, the best, most well-managed and cleanly clean of the stores in our area that's, that's what i've heard all the other like i popped into a safeway real quick oh see justin's got his little mask i don't have a mask like that but i have a buff that i just roll over my face um, my mother-in-law made this out of some like old fabric or fabric that was not used so nope, very it's nice it's innovative. like a 70s tie 
Yeah, I think Jarrett, when he goes out, he just puts a gum boot on his head. <laughs> just over the eyes, but not the mouth. Uh, so anyways, I went to that store. It was good. I went to a different grocery store, and I was kind of put off by their cleaning choices they had all their shopping carts and then there was a table that had a spray bottle and a roll of paper towel so like you could do it yourself but it's like but everyone touches that spray bottle and roll paper towel so i was like that seems like a bad bad setup but anyways i i'm protected when i go out there Jarrett saw me i had to uh, pick up this week's movie as he owns a physical copy of it and uh, he saw me in my going out gear what uh what did you think of that Jarrett? uh it worked i mean you made good use of your uh, uh ice scraper i i had to return some movies to Jarrett, justin and uh, i had them in a grocery bag but as i I mean, this isn't a new thing. I always like to keep my distance from him, but uh, I put him on my ice scraper and I mm-hmm. extended it out the car window so that he could mm-hmm. uh, grab it. And then I just rolled my window down a crack <laughs> so he could mm-hmm. deposit uh, the new movie. That's you know, right. what's the weather's like? What's the weather like up there in Creepsville? Uh, it's not bad. It's like pretty. I think tomorrow's supposed to be like plus mild. 50. Well, yeah, it's like two degrees or something like that today, and then it warmed up more. Tomorrow's supposed to be plus 15 Celsius. Oh, that's right. You guys are Celsius. Really yeah, okay. which is like really nice. And then the next day it plunges down to like some minuses again. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. Yeah, it's been it's been real nice spring weather here, so it's kind of been odd being you know cooped up in the house. Usually when you have to force to stay at home, it's because you're snowed in or maybe the hurricane's coming. It's raining a lot. But no, you walk out and it's a beautiful day thinking, hmm, I got baseball practice this afternoon, but – Nope, we're quarantined. Yep. You could just have baseball practice in your mind. <laughs> That's what I do frequently. Like Kevin Costner. If you build it, they will come. It, exactly. I've exactly. never seen that movie. I nope. should. It, it's on Can- – oh, no, it, it was on Canadian Netflix. I don't know if it is anymore, but ours is different than yours anyways. I was going to yeah. say you can check it out, but oh, well. Did, we, right uh, did you guys get close to that uh, Creeps email record? No, I don't know. <laughs> no, nope. desperate a plea. Yeah, came to no avail. Well, it seems like I, it's it's yeah. when you don't expect it. Then I go, huh? Hey, RJ, we got like four emails on Monday, and then it's like that's usually a pretty good sign. But mm-hmm. I, I I feel like there's something going on in the world, and I I don't know. People are occupied or something. I don't know. I'm preoccupied. Speaking of which, emails, females. Nope. Oh. Okay. First up, we have an email uh, from Justin Peterson, live from Creep Studios. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jared and RJ, mm-hmm. what's happening? Since mm-hmm. we have Justin joining us here on the show for the second time, we will turn it to mm-hmm. him for a couple of questions, including the GOAT movie question of the week, plus his mm. favorite episodes of our show. Justin, what you got? All right, so I'll start off with uh, my favorite Creeps uh, anecdotes. Um okay. Yeah, I actually just learned what that word meant, uh, anecdote. I was watching a YouTube video of a preacher talking about this movie tonight, and he is like, well, I got one more anecdote for you. I'm like, what does this word mean? And yeah, it's a short, uh, familiar story, I guess. That's kind of how you define it. But um, uh, I shared this one with uh, RJ a while back, but one of the funniest bust-out laugh, um, bust-out funny moments I had was um, RJ said something to the extent that Tilda Swinton wearing a hefty male genitals for her role in Suspiria, which I was in the <laughs> office listening to this, and I, yeah, could not mm-hmm. <laughs> stop laughing at that remark. Um, that was an actual news article that I was reading off of. It was about her huge, hefty genitals swinging back and forth and how she was just walking <laughs> around on set naked doing that. And uh, that was an actual article. I can't remember. 
where it was. It's probably BuzzFeed or something like that. But uh, I'll check it out. Uh, that that's not a bad one. Jared yeah, also has huge swinging genitals. Uh, <laughs> that was a very around. divisive character. A lot of people either thought that that they ruined the movie or she ruined the movie in that dressing as a man or that made the movie because it was you know women power. But um, anyways, moving on. Um, and of course, I love y'all's. Um, who hates this segment? Uh, I love rapid fire movie talk. You talk so many movies all at once there. Uh, good stuff. Um, some of my favorite episodes. Let's go down a little memory lane for you guys. So I thought last week's episode was a little funny during Ikiru because um, Archie sounded a little drunk because it got really, really <laughs> random at the end. And he's just like going off on all these tangents here and there. I was just like, what does this have to do with little Ikiru? But um, it's good. Good nonetheless. I think I can happily report. I don't think I was drinking last week. Was I, Jarrett? I don't believe so. I don't think I was. I don't. Uh, I don't remember where it went. But uh, sometimes those off the cuff things, and uh, when you're not expecting it, those are the best ones. So it's good to know that I, I sounded like I was. That's always good. Um, <laughs> a shout out to the the the, the four hundred blows sequel episode. You guys did a, re- a great job of reestablishing that. Um, series of movies and then expanding on it and doing some um yeah kind of putting into perspective kudos to you on how you did that thank you of course the the fear and loathing episode that i partook in was Mm -hmm. a blast your uh, longest episode yet i'll i'll try not to keep us here all night long that's okay jared's got nowhere to be right jared that's right or do you i don't know i don't ask jared stuff the wedding uh the the wedding compilation um deal for rj at the very end of the episode actually uh i'm not sure if you know this rj but i actually had a few wedding questions in my email that week and i mm. think uh uh jd uh carefully snipped those out in order to not to ruin the surprise i was like hey I, that my email's a little tailored this week that's all right i uh i did not know that and i actually don't look at the emails i i could but uh, I don't because I like to be surprised as much as all of you guys. So I let Jared handle all those things. That was a nice moment, though. Yes. And then um, I think it was the Redbeard episode. That is when um, somewhere around that time Frank had sent a, uh, a really good email kind of asking you guys to pick between one or another movie um, related things and kind of a, a game. And mm-hmm. so that kind of inspired me to do my whole series of emails, which I've been going for around a year now. So, yeah, hopefully mm-hmm. being a co-producer go. on the show <laughs> with a little bit of a written segment each week. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I've, I'll go ahead. I was going to say all the friends of the show are co-producers because without them, we would just still be doing it, but no one would listen. <laughs> so, but yeah, yes. I've listened to every single minute you guys have podcasted, like I've told you many times. So, uh, yeah, always look forward to new episodes. Next well, question. Um, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say it's much appreciated, but I feel like there's better use of your time because uh, we're not we're not very good. But I did. I found the multitasking factor. I gotcha. Yeah. That 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 makes sense. It's from W Magazine, and it says <laughs> Tilda Swinton insisted on a weighty set of genitalia to play an old man in Suspiria. Yeah, it doesn't get so. Old. Anyways, W Although, Magazine. There you go. All right. So um, I recently saw a YouTube video that the host said to have the proper introduction to the Criterion Collection experience, one must blind buy a movie, Um, which I'm not a fan of. What are your thoughts on um, blind buying? Has there been instances where it paid off, instances where it was a miserable experience? I really don't see the point. I mean, you can rent it online. Why not like it first? 
Yeah. Well, so I definitely have many times. Uh, and I, th- I feel like I've probably, I think I someone might have asked at this at one other point. And I was like, I struggled. The thing that actually comes up to me quite a bit, though, was uh, Eight and a Half. Because that's a movie that I, it came out and I saw it. And it has this great cover. And I'm like, oh, it's this Fellini guy. It's this Eight and a Half. It's so well regarded. But I'm like, it's like it, at the time it was like forty two ninety nine, And I was like, oh, wow. Man, like I don't know, I don't know, and I remember going onto a message board and like asking, like it was like a comics message board, like is this movie worth buying? And like people were like, no, don't buy it, don't buy it. And I was like, okay, I didn't. And then I waited, and then eventually I did buy it because like I don't know, I was just like it got stuck in my head, and I was like, I, I have to do it, I have to pick it up. And then finally did, and then I watched it, and went, oh, this movie is brilliant. And uh, so sometimes it can work out, but a lot of the time, well, it, it stings when there was a. Uh, when it's like a real three star out of five movie, and you go, I just mm-hmm. I just spent real money on this, and uh, now it, it's basically once you buy this stuff, it's pretty well worthless. Like it's pretty like, yeah. unless you were going to sell it right away, or if you it turns out to be like one of those like highly sought after Blu-rays that people will just you pass it along, you get your value out of. But yeah, like you said. Now it's easier than ever to rent stuff because it's not like when I was buying this stuff, you there was no option to go and buy it online. You had to wait for a video store to have it, and they never had. They would never have eight and a half uh, on DVD, so you, you had to buy it. But now it's like, well, you really don't need to buy a physical media at all at this point. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even yeah. nowadays, like, was that your first Fellini? No, the my the first Fellini movie I ever watched was or tried to watch was Fellini Satyricon, which oh that's a that's an interesting start. <laughs> yeah, well I didn't know what to expect, and then I'm watching it. I just like gave up after like a half hour. I was like I was I was like in high school. I was like yeah. 15. I was like what is this? And I was just like yeah. this is shit. And then I just gave up on it. And that's why that also added to my hesitation to check out Eight and a Half because I'm like, well, what if this is just Satyricon all over again? But actually, I, I am excited about one day 10 years from now watching satiricon now uh, being converted to the uh fellini fandom but we'll see we'll see but yeah uh that kind of i guess answers that question in a long about way i don't know it's a crapshoot still uh, but i find that uh even now like in the uh in our covid world post covid world uh that we're not out of yet even um I, like i'm not buying as much uh, movies like it's harder for me to justify because I'm like I don't know I don't know where my job is going to be in like a few months and like do I need yeah. to spend like $150 on a vinegar syndrome order or like like right Criterion's been sending out these gift certificates I don't know if you guys have received mm-hmm. these like I got like yep. 20 bucks from them in the last two weeks and I'm like huh like what's up with this like they're just they want me to buy stuff and I'm like I don't know if I like I I'll, one day I'll use it because they don't expire, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel I'm very uncomfortable about buying physical media at the moment because I don't know. It seems like less important than ever. And because especially with new movies, like they're on streaming like immediately, like within mm-hmm. like, within a few months. You, you don't even have Yeah, to- like Frozen 2, I got that on 4K and like the next week it was up on Disney+. Plus. That yeah, that mm-hmm. there you go. But I mean, I guess that's like uh, as they say, unprecedented times of Disney uh, p- putting this stuff out with uh, yeah. uh, COVID nineteen. But uh, yeah, like that's like an example. Like I've bought stuff like Sony Entertainment. They'll put it like a something like say a Phantom Thread, and you'll pay like twenty seven bucks up here anyway. That's brand new like sale price. And then like a few weeks later, they might be like, oh hey, it's a fa- 
it's, I don't know, it's a holiday and then we're going to drop the price to like 14.99 or, oh, it's just streaming now for free or on your, mm-hmm. on your uh, thing. And you're like, why did I just buy this for? And then you watch it once mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then you go, especially if it's not a great movie that you're like, I'm going to revisit this a few more times. It's, I don't yeah. know. I like the idea of Coke more than I actually like Coke. Right, Jared? You know that you know that hit saying from uh, role models. Anyways, I think I've long said that uh, where it's like I I own a lot of movies, but I stopped buying them because I I felt like I was getting burnt on that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in terms of like blind buys, like dragged across concrete. Yeah, yeah. Well, and see, like those are if there's someone I know, like so dragged across concrete's a good example. I like S. Craig Zoller. I love Mel Gibson. And I was like, there's no other way for us to watch this. So I was like, I'm buying that son of a bitch no matter what. And then we bought it and I was like, eh. And then like a month later, it got put on like Amazon Prime up here or something. And I was like, man, because, but it's, I don't know, it's whatever you do. But Mm -hmm. blind buys, I think everything I buy is almost blind. That's like what, (laughs) that's pretty much what a lot of people have probably figured out listening to this podcast for like three years is that, I haven't okay. seen a lot of things. And especially like when I did start buying Criterions, um, because I own a few. I own I own about like fifty or so like that before we started uh well before and during. I own about like fifty and uh, a lot of those were blind buys. Like I'm I bought eight and a half blind too. I had heard about it, but like I was like, I don't know what that movie's about. I've never seen it. I actually and, found uh, out about that movie on the um the William Freakin and the the mm. Criterion Closet YouTube video. He okay. uh, was really hyping up eight and a half. So I was like, oh, that's on my watch list. And yeah, that was my first Fellini. I loved it. I wasn't so thrilled about Do- La Dolce Vita, but that's. Mm-mm. You guys haven't talked about either. You talked about eight and a half, right? Yes. Yeah, that's okay. been, that's but been not... covered. But La Dolce Vita will be coming up sooner than later, mm-hmm. much to RJ's joy. Oh, that's the longest um, movie in the world. It's <laughs> so long. I, hey, keep going. Yeah, my uh, my blind buy would be a Jabberwocky. They didn't really have a print. I did, it looked like that was any in, in decent at all online. So yeah, I sprung for that Criterion Blu-ray, and it it was okay. I mean, it was just kind of a lesser um, Holy yeah. Grail, essentially. Yep. Yeah. No, for sure. I uh, I mean, I still have my old like non-Criterion DVD with the yellow cover still, and it's it's never been a movie like that. I feel like oh, I really need to own this with all the pixels. <laughs> I, I I'm good with my DVD. I'm still fine. Uh, watching standard definition for a lot of things, uh, mm-hmm. except, except for really old DVDs. Like actually with fear and loathing would be a, a good example. Like watching the standard definition of that on DVD was like this terrible. And then, but you watch mm-hmm. Blu-ray and it's like, this is amazing. So yeah, mm-hmm. there is that. Like, but I mean, if I'm going to upgrade now, like I better, I have to love the movie pretty much. All right, uh, goat movie question of the week. So, with this being uh, Easter week, uh, holy uh, holy week or whatever, um, yeah, Jesus movies. Um, oh, baby. I, <laughs> well, no, no, not not going quite there. Um, I'm thinking about this weekend watching Ben Hur, which is kind of like um, a lesser thought of Jesus movie from 1959. But yeah, my that, greatest movie. That, of all that, time I was going to ask you which version of Ben Hur because there's like at least yeah, three the of them, right? Well, there's the original. Yeah, there's the original original. <laughs> From like nineteen oh seven, which I'm like I don't know if it's the that's up your alley, but yeah, go on. So you're talking about the nineteen fifty nine Oh, but yeah, nineteen fifty. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my greatest fifties uh, movie of all time. I would give big shout outs to one of the, my best new watches of last year was Some Like It Hot. Uh, also saw The Searchers for the first time last year, which was great. Mm. And then uh, 
I think I saw Diabolique either late last. Yeah, I watched it around Halloween last year, and I I know you guys were the big fans of Diabolique, but I I had a blast with it. I think it's all right. Great. I think that was. Yeah, I think that was our like takeaway from that one. So sorry, you're talking about Jesus movies, right? No, no, uh, the greatest of all time, 1950s movies. 1950s yeah. movies. Okay. The, the ones featuring Jesus, right? <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to. <laughs> I well, is, I, I got mean, me thinking about the 50s though. This is the episode that's going to come out right before Easter, so uh, yeah, it's good timing. Unless next week, I would love to hear about J- Jarrett's favorite Jesus movies. I have several. <laughs> so uh, okay, 1950s. I better, Jarrett. Do you have it? Because I better look this up on my own here. I just pulled up my decade i mean i think this is if uh under pro for letterboxd users if you go to your uh, uh pro profile you can actually look up in all time and it tells you what your most highest rated decades are and i think mine's still mm-hmm. like the 50s 60s and 20s um but yeah i mean 50s it's uh you know it's pretty good movies pretty good i mean you got, you got, you got your 12 you got your 12 angry men you've got yeah. uh mm-hmm. which i mean I don't know many people who don't like that movie, so that's one. I've never my... seen it. Wow. I, I, I bought it blind, though. I own the Criterion. Oh, there, there you go. Bought, bought. Yeah. yeah. Um, even like, so Vertigo is like the most popular movie of the 50s that I've seen. But that movie, I do see people there. It seems like it hits people right and wrong in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm not I'm not hot on Vertigo. Yeah. It's, the end's so silly. <laughs> With the oh, it's uh, the, yeah. the scary nun. <laughs> um, I got. I think the fifties is one of my highest rated. Also, uh, lots of sci-fi stuff. Like in terms of my ratings, things like War of the Worlds and The Day the Earth Stood Still. Like high quality things, man. I I liked War of the Worlds so much. You also got like stuff like Godzilla. Oh yeah, real good, Jer and Justin. Real good. <laughs> Uh, my final question, RJ, will you be uh, going into the uh, checking out any religious movies this week for Easter? Oh, baby, you know it. I got the I don't have a ton lined up, but I have a uh, I have two or three. There's this list I liked called the Jesus Collection, uh, and I've been um, working my way through that. OK, I have seen that. Yeah, me, uh, actually, seeing your reaction there makes me think I should probably show my kids uh, that Prince of Egypt movie for the first time this oof. weekend baby that that movie is awesome and uh i know uh jared the heathen over there might mm-hmm. disagree but you you've seen it right jared or no no prince i've, ne- of I've e- never no? seen it no you should watch prince of egypt man it's it's available on netflix up here it's good stuff too real good stuff either so, that so what's what's so what's next up in your jesus watchathon for me well i don't want to give that away yet not yet uh I'll, well i'll tell you one one that uh from Nicholas Ray from 1961. I plan on watching King of Kings this weekend. Ooh, okay. So that's a little teaser for you. I think Jarrett should watch Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, it's only 382 minutes. Uh, <laughs> I watched that in school when I was a little kid. So uh, I remember it being pretty good. I think that's Frank Zeffaretti or whatever his mm-hmm. name is. My so, mind is very fresh on all your uh, uh Religious movies you watched in school, RJ, since I just re-listened to the Last Temptation episode um, in preparation for my podcast. (laughs) Well, I mean, you can't go to a better source than that one right there. But uh, I don't know, Jer, what are you planning on watching this weekend for uh, your good Catholic upbringings? Um, He's probably going to watch The Devils. 
Yeah. The devils? That's that counts. That's Catholic guilt, right? Well, right now I'm actually just looking up because uh, I do like the uh, sort the idea of sword and sandals, uh, like yeah. that era, like the robe. And uh, well, I mean, RJ, I you did you did watch the robe, but have you watched Demetrius and the Gladiators? Mm, no, is uh, it's not on my Jesus list here. Demetrius and the Gladiators. Yep. I'm gonna check it out. And, it's, 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 and it's uh, directed by a, a Criterion alum, who uh, Delmer Daves, who did Three Ten to Yuma and Jubal. Jubal, what's uh, who's in Jubal again? Like, um, isn't Christopher oh, Lee er, in Jubal? Er, er, Ernest Borgnine. Ernest Borgnine. Yep. Son of a bitch. Yeah. What is it called? Demetrius. Demetrius and uh, the Gladiators. Yeah. The same man as Jubal. Uh, well, same Delmer director. Davers. Yeah. Okay, I'll find it that way. There you go. I'll check. I'll check it out if it's available on my things. We'll. Uh, oh, here I got it. Where's your just watch here? Let's see. Is this available by any means? <laughs> Apple rental. Sons of bitches. Is it worth five bucks, Jarrett? I don't know. You're gonna have to tell us. Uh, if you watch uh, that Zeffiretti, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, I'll definitely watch Demetrius and the the gladiators. You'll watch it anyway. Probably. All right. Well, that's all the time I'll take up in terms of my email. Hope we all have a great show. Indeed. Thank you, Justin. Back to you, Jared. <laughs> Always good to hear from a friend of the show. Next up, Frank Solano. Mm-hmm. With Ooh, Frank Santoro. E- an email entitled, Heisenberg, Asians and Cancer, and Portrait of an Angry RJ on Fire. Huh? Oh. Hello, Creeps and Creepers. Hope you're all doing well. I know I'm not, mostly because I've gone and done it again. I finished an, an approximately 60-hour show in less than a week, setting aside regular eating hours and hydration in order to finish something you should only be mildly invested in can really take a toll on a person. And this is the reason I mostly stay away from series and TV shows. I'm very unkind to myself when I binge watch. That being said, I managed to do it, and now my two cents on Breaking Bad. It's great. Not sure mm. if it lived up to the hype for me like The Sopranos did, but I think it's because these three little issues I have with the show... One, you guys slightly touched on this subject when RJ said season two is the best. I think the uh, reason seasons one and two work so well is because of the ever-looming threat of the cancer eating away at Walt. Sure, it comes back in season five, but by then, he's been living basically carefree. Obviously not, but I think that making cancer a viable threat versus a drug kingpin or neo-Nazis is much more complex and interesting. Two, Mm. Skylar White. Obviously, she's meant to be a checks and balances foil for Walter in a way, but because her character has little to no charm, she becomes that problematic, stereotypical, quote, nagging wife trope that ends up with a poor actress being bullied by hardcore fans of the show who can't separate actors from the roles they play. And I think that if both the writers and the directors had tried a little harder, they could have saved Anna Gunn the grief of harassment from angry internet douchebags who view her as a, quote, treacherous whore. I pulled that quote directly from a YouTube comment section, and I'm very disappointed in humanity. And finally, the issue I had with both Walt and Jesse Pinkman, the repetitive cycles of their stories. Every time Walt would quit making meth or Jess would sober up, it seemed clear that in the following episodes, something would bring them right back. Walt continuously hammers down on, quote, for my family. (laughs) And Jesse continuously hammers down on, not the kids. And it seemed like the only differences between seasons were the circumstances they were in. The character arcs relatively short, and what was expanded on instead was the plot going on around them. 
And so, with all that being said, Breaking Bad would get four and a half stars if that was on Letterboxd, mostly for performances, directing, and writing. The camera stuff, I wasn't ever really into. Mm. So, uh, Justin, have you watched Breaking Bad? Yeah, I watched all the way through. Yeah, it's a great you, show. Yeah, it is a great show. Uh, mm-hmm. And RJ, you're a fan. Uh, I am a fan, and I have some comments uh, to uh, some of these things. Do you want me to go ahead, yeah, or go, do you want to go right on ahead? Okay, I think season two is the best because that's where uh, Walt becomes the bad guy, and the case in point is all the stuff with uh, Jesse Pinkman's girlfriend. I think that's why season two is so good. But I, I, I see where Frank's coming from, and I get it. Uh, Skyler. I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about Skylar. I talked talked about that last week a little bit. Um, and then what was I? I was just going to. Oh, no. You know I forgot what I was going to say, Jarrett. Oh. What was the third thing he brought up about Breaking Bad? The cycle. The, the... Oh, OK. Yeah. So I think that things like that can be frustrating with uh, characters. But I mean, mm-hmm. that is how people are, right? Like, because Jarrett, I mean, sometimes I dabble in things and I overdo it and maybe I make myself sick. Like the other day I ate a bunch of pizza and I got so sick that I threw up because I ate so much pizza. And a week later I was like, I want pizza again. I'm going to go for it. And it's like, like, I know that's like a a lower stakes thing, but it's the same Mm -hmm. with say like smoking. I used to smoke. And then whenever I go out with like guys on like boys, nice, it's like, yo, where's those darts at? It's like, I can't help myself. It's cyclical. You just can't do it. So I think that's – it's frustrating as it is. It's a very real thing. Maybe that's why it's frustrating because you can see other people going through cycles and you're like, hey, you shouldn't do that. But then I think we all have something that we probably shouldn't do, right, Jer? Well, have you stopped making meth though? Uh, I'm never going to stop. It's in the Constitution. I agree with the the Pinkman stuff. I think mm. a, a few of his like inner character moments that seemed like it kind of dragged the show down. Mm. Um, in terms of Skylar, like – that's like kind of the contrast there. I mean, yep. as as much as people don't dislike her, I mean, that got people more interested in the show out of that that dislike. I mean, yeah, she went to beach sometimes, and his uh, was a brother-in-law kind of annoyed the heck out of me. Um, yeah. Oh, my, my dad used to make uh, beer, and I remember a few uh, instances where he made it too alcoholic and the bottles burst open. Um, but a few of my favorite moments from Breaking Bad, of course, all the meth montage moments. Um mm-hmm. I just love like watching shows where it's like an artist doing their craft or whatever. And like you hear about all the technical details of that. So especially the one where like they're they would they fumigate houses and like their whole operation for doing that. That was just brilliant. Um, The train episode is by far my favorite. The train episode is incredible. Um, And then actually hearing you guys talk about Skylar, whenever uh, Walt is um, installing the uh, tankless. water heater or whatever and Skylar's like fussing at him through the floor and he has like these gobs of money in his hands and that's a great moment as well genius show mm-hmm. on a side note before Jarrett tears into it I uh during quarantine I watched seasons one through four of Better Call Saul because uh, oh. I had not seen all of them so I'm uh, caught up to what's available on Netflix now Jarrett and I can report that's a good show too yeah I watched I saw two seasons of that yeah I watched the first yeah, season only out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you should use it's your quarantine time really. to finish it. Should. Yeah, it, it it is, but it uh it gets there. Like I don't think it ever hits that Breaking Bad stuff, but it is actually it's it's pretty good stuff. So, what about you, Jer? What's your uh, opinions of things? Of uh, Breaking Bad? Well, I mean, I, I 
was one of those shows. I think when we talked about it at the very beginning, I mm-hmm. did. I had kind of the same experience with Frank, where nothing about it seemed that appealing. It just seemed like another one of these like AMC shows or like kind of like prestige TV shows that are about drug dealers. And I was like, oh man, mm-hmm. it's like a regular person that deals drugs. And I was like, okay, that, I don't need this in my life. But when I actually finally did sit down and give it a chance, I was like pretty won over really quickly. And uh, yeah, I I loved it. I, it was one of those shows I actually was. Uh, watching every week as it was coming on, which is like, seems like a lifetime ago when I did that at all for any show mm-hmm. other than uh, Twin Peaks, <laughs> I guess. Ooh. Game so of Thrones. What you... Game of Thrones was the last thing. And now nothing. Nothing. What do you think Frank's going to watch next? Twin Peaks or uh, Roseanne for all time greatest I don't television know. Frank's gonna events? Have to, Frank's going to have to let us know next week. Uh, did you know it's the 30th anniversary of Twin Peaks today, Jer? I, I know. I saw. Oh, nice. Timing. Timing. We watched that firework with me. Yeah. Ooh. Frank continues. Speaking of cancer, you guys mentioned in last week's episode that you were unsure why the doctors would lie to the main character of Akiru about his cancer diagnosis. And well, I think I can explain that. If I underst- mm. if I understand correctly, in several Asian countries, cancer is viewed as a death sentence, and instead of giving someone the blunt, honest truth, doctors take it upon themselves to be considered and to protect people from the knowledge of their impending doom. Instead of telling the patient, they instead inform the families. I became aware of this custom through 2019's The Farewell, directed by Lulu Wang, mm. which is a great movie, by the way, in which the plot revolves around that tradition, and when I watched Akiru, I was surprised to see that the custom dates back to Japan in the 1950s, and probably before then. I haven't done extensive research, but what I I have learned is that the basis of the tradition comes from Confucianism. Yeah. Did you know Confucius say, go to bed with itchy bum, wake up with stinky thumb, Jarrett? <laughs> hey, that is a Criterion Collection film quote right there. You know that one, Justin? Is that from um, Good Morning or something? I'm, doesn't doesn't ring a bell. Uh, Jarrett knows, do you not? I don't actually. You gotta remind me, RJ. My man, that is from Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love. Oh, Adam okay. Sandler goes on his date and he uh, he talks about Confucius going to bed with itchy bum. So uh, this has been the Criterion Creeps podcast, uh, and uh, we're done forever now. Just put it on the credits. Mm-hmm, just let them roll. Did you know uh, basketball was invented in Canada, you guys? <laughs> and they used peach baskets. Finally, I'd like to address a statement RJ made last week about Portrait Uh-oh. of a Lady on Fire. I understand that he stated he was beginning to hate it, and be in, to, to be entirely honest, I believe this is to be unfair. I understand that the fan base exalt the movie to the point of becoming a nuisance and that a majority of them do it for the wrong reasons. Oh, my gay heart, he quotes. But I personally believe that Portrait of a Lady on Fire, when viewed under the proper lens, is actually quite a remarkable film. I know Jarrett won't read this last paragraph in a posh British accent, but if he had, it would have been great. Like when he caught my totally intentional Maximum Risk reference last week. Um, I didn't catch any of that, but uh, what I'll say is I, I know it's unfair, but the world is unfair. Right, Jarrett? Anyways, the point is, Portrait is actually a pretty great movie. I doubt you'll love it because of the hype train and also because it's a little slower paced. But I also doubt you'll hate it when you see it because it's fine artisanal film craft. And at least you don't have to see it for another 20 years. Anyways, thanks Creeps and featured co-hosts for waiting through this extra long email without questions. Hope you guys have a good show. Stay safe. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Oops. portrait, that's a divisive one. Um, I've had a lot of people in my letterbox review, they'll like chime in and say, wow, somebody else actually thinks the way I do about this since it's it's so acclaimed. But yeah, um, maybe I'll have to give it another shot one of these days. It um, didn't do a whole lot for me, but it was all right. Well, we'll get there in about 10 years, right, Jer? That's right. I know uh, my buddy, Corey, he just watched Water Lilies, which I'm assuming is in preparation for watching Portrait, probably immediately. So I'll see what he thinks and, you know, one day watch it for myself, I guess. Mm-hmm. Finally, hmm. Sam Sanchez Ooh, baby. with an email entitled Essential, which I think I know what this is going to be about. Mm. Hey, once again. Last week, mentioned I was returning to work this week, so to update, I've returned since Monday. My job is technically considered essential since it's a, Mm. quote, communications provider. Though due to seniority, I was given immediate time off for a couple weeks since 80% of the stores have been closed, but now it looks like for the foreseeable future, I'll be working in rotation. So one Mm. week of quarantine and week of glorious, dangerous exposure... Fuck. Oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. So currently Mm -hmm. emailing in from work, though, if if goes like I hope, I'll work a couple more days and be off for another week. Fingers crossed there, I guess, as it definitely isn't a blast helping out people and seeing all these face masks and gloves out and about, and then half people not wearing anything. Weird time to be in. (laughs) To switch to lighter stuff, as far as your question for the listeners last week about favorite moments or trademarks of the show, I'd say the trademark of a general dislike of most new stuff stands out. <laughs> Though because of that fact, I was surprised to hear RJ enjoy Daniel Isn't Real, since I think I pretty much hated it, and I'm usually the more forgiving one. Seemed like a yep. break from the norm for RJ to praise it, and by praising it, I guess I mean thinking it was okay. <laughs> that That is true. I've seen a ton of people hate yeah. that thing, too. You, yeah, I was and, really surprised that you liked it, because like I, like most yeah. people People, uh, I don't know if you know this movie, Daniel Isn't Real, Justin. Um, I've heard that one. Yeah, just like that. RJ was just, just watched that last week, but uh, it's kind of been in the horror circles as a movie, uh, though. <laughs> and it, it's divisive, as they say. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I know a lot of people really don't like that. And uh, it's like it's like Sam says, surprised that I liked it and by that saying that it's okay. Yeah, I thought it was okay. I forgot to mention last week though. It's definitely like uh it does that thing you hate Jared about art where it's like commenting on like what art is th- at, like th- with and through the movie. Uh-oh. Yeah, so it's definitely art house trash. Um I thought it was fine. I don't know. <laughs> it was fine, whatever. <laughs> well, that is the, that is the takeaway, I guess, of for yeah. for Sam and probably for others that uh our general dislike of new movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's good. Um, yeah, hype train kills it, huh? I mean, there's so, I mean, there's more film talk online and all over the place than more than there has ever been before. So yeah, people can hike up these expectations. Like I saw parasite blind yeah. and yeah, so I didn't have that for me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, like, like you said, like thinking of parasite, that's a movie that like I more often than not, everyone likes that movie. And like, I like, I thought it was like, good but man i was expecting a life-altering experience mm-hmm. i guess and it's just like i watched yeah. it and went oh okay like this is definitely a one of uh bong's better movies that i've seen uh lately but yeah i just i don't know i don't know what it was but uh yeah it's always interesting too because like with film festivals people who get to see these movies first they're going in yeah. with zero expectation other than whatever they bring in to whatever they've generated for themselves like if they know a director or actor, performer, screenwriter, whatever. And then out of that, people are like, oh, my God, this movie's, like, amazing. And then that begins the dangerous uh, road to 
mm-hmm. hype town, and then whatever it turns into whatever it's going to be. That kind of happened mm-hmm. with. Uh, I think Joker was one of those movies that that happened to you as well. Like I, yeah. I can't, I can't believe how many people hate that movie, and I'm like, mm-hmm. huh. It's like I guess because it made a billion dollars, and maybe the mm-hmm. way people talk about it, because it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a. It's a superhero movie, but it's like a mm-hmm. very, really well-made superhero movie. Um, mm-hmm. Very that, violent. People aren't – yeah. like people kind of forgot that films could be violent all of a sudden. Yeah, and like – I mean that's like – when I think of that, like I don't even think about the violence, I guess because I'm uh, kind of a gore hound in general. And I'm like, that movie's mm-hmm. violent? Is that one? But I, I guess – like, but yeah, it's one of those things like – it's I guess it's the tone though too because it's not like sure. dark and calm. You know, it's it like, like it. when we were talking about uh, Tokyo uh, – was it Tokyo Gore Police? Uh, yeah, because like, that's violent, but it's also funny. And uh, then yeah, there's like there, then there's the then there's the flip side of like violence, but like seated in reality that makes it yeah unrelenting, people. like like Solo or Martyrs or something. Right. Whereas like Serbian film, like that that's has the most crazy things imaginable in it, but it's it's so ridiculous it doesn't quite get under your skin the same way. At least that's how I found it. Yeah, uh, I think actually reading the Wikipedia entry for that movie is more disturbing than the movie. Weirdly oh, enough, yeah, film. Yeah. yeah, you don't see the the visuals; it's more in your mind. That makes total sense. Yeah, um, Knives Out was the big movie for me that I think the hype train killed it. Yeah, that was actually. I remember. I think I can't remember what you gave that, but yeah, you, you were uh, for for you three stars is a fairly low rating, <laughs> right? Sure. And uh, yeah. but I was kind of like surprised because I was like, man, that movie's like such a I don't know. It's I found it's like really charming. Uh, and like I don't know, I I didn't love that movie as like I think overall it's like just like oh, it's like a good time. But like, would I watch it again? Would I go out of my way to recommend it to people? I don't even know if I would at this point. The Jarrett seal of likeness, kind of like how I liked Daniel isn't real with the. Uh, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good, Jared. Um, Sam concludes, also just realized how close pickup on South Street is coming up. I think I had mm-hmm. it mentally pegged for May. Looks like it's coming up way quicker than that. Guess I'll have mm-hmm. to actually think about stuff to say, eh? All right, guys, stay <sighs> down with the clown and take care. This podcast is truly essential. Whoop, whoop. Mm-hmm. That was me. Is he locked in for that episode? Uh... I don't know if I can say preliminary discussions have been in talk. <laughs> so wait, did you add Do the it. juggalo stuff or did Sam oh. Sanchez? Well, he, he said, stay down at the clown. Okay. And you just added the whoop whoop. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, see, it's uh, this thing develops every day, every day. I did notice that's coming up really soon. I was like, huh, I wonder if uh, old Sam is uh, up for it. We'll see, I guess. That's right. We'll see. Hmm. But that's that's it for the mailbag. Mm. It's empty. Emails. So, guys, what you been creeping on this week? Well, uh, I think I'll jump in before uh, Justin gets into there as, uh, you know, is the fashion. Uh, What would you like to hear about, Jared? Because I'm liking this. uh, You picking out of my my pile, which is it's going down because I'm actually watching TV now. TV, huh? TV. So uh, there's not as many movies, but there's enough. I want to hear about that. Uh, kind of want to hear about that Kevin Smith joint. Oh, oh yeah. okay, okay. Do you want to hear about that right now, Jerry? Yeah, you go, hear about- go for it. That sounds good. All right. So, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Uh, so I think you guys 
are familiar with this a little bit. Uh, so Criterion Collection alumni, Mr. Kevin Smith, yep. uh, he did a, I think it was a Kickstarter or something uh, a couple years ago to reboot his franchise, his Jay and Silent Bob things, because that was the, it's, it's very meta, Jarrett. It's very like, whoa, layered thinking. It's, it's, it's high up there. It's complex. Yep. So he's like, everyone else is rebooting their franchises. I'll reboot my most famous franchise. And by franchise, he means the character properties of Jay and Silent Bob. So what you have here, Jared, is a uh, a movie where I think a lot of favors were called in. A lot of favors. So you get Matt Damon for about 15 seconds. You get Ben Affleck for about three minutes. You get uh, Amy. I can't remember what her actual name is, but she pops up for uh, maybe 20 seconds. You get a lot of these actors pop up for uh, a couple seconds, Jared. And it all seems very, it's all very nice. It's all very friendly. Like uh, people who were in um, one of Kevin Smith's movies at some point or another, Jason Lee's there for a little, Shannon Elizabeth, Rosario Dawson, Joe Mangliano, Tommy wow. Chung. Of, of D&D fame? D&D fame, Joe Magliano, Val Kilmer's there for a second. I don't think he has any lines actually in this thing, but uh, maybe he does. I don't think he does. Maybe it's like one word or something, but they're all there, Jer and Justin. They're all there. So what this movie is... Harley Smith? uh, Harley Quinn Smith is uh, also there. So she's given front center stage as uh, has been the fashion lately. A lot of people comment to it. Uh, I'll say up front, it's like, you know what? If I was like Kevin Smith and I had like a 20-year-old daughter who wanted to be an actress, I'd probably put her in all my movies too. So uh, I, no, I get No one it. else will. No one else will. Well, well, not, she, I guess she, I guess she, she is in Once, Once Upon, Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. So um, this movie, Jarrett, because I know you have no idea what it's about. Jay and Silent Bob, uh, the rights to their names have been sold to a movie company, which doesn't really come bu- come up again in a certain anyways so you know jay and silent bob strike back they're going to stop a movie being made so hollywood is remaking the blunt man and chronic movie so jay and silent bob want to go stop that from being remade so see how it's a reboot in a reboot Jarrett? it's got layers man it's got layers like shrek uh so there's this other side plot about how they're not allowed to be their own characters anymore and i think it's a very co- comment on like corporate like I don't know, copyright things or something, but uh, they're not allowed to be themselves. So they're going to go stop the movie. It goes through the paces again of what's going on. Uh, And instead of meeting the female characters like they did in Jay and Silent Pop Strike Back, they meet uh, Jay Muse's estranged daughter, which is Harley Smith, instead of Bob's daughter. Jay's daughter instead Uh, and then they all go on a uh, journey together to stop the movie they go to a comic-con where they see Ben Affleck uh, Silent Bob um, he goes into a uh, Iron Man suit Uh, and then you get some uh, some real meta stuff Jarrett Kevin Smith himself is a character in this movie he's the director rebooting the blunt man and chronic so he's impossible He's doing some Eddie Murphy, Nutty Professor dual roles in this, where he's playing not just Silent Bob Jarrett, but Kevin Smith also. That's a regular Peter Sellers move. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So uh, in, other than just being there, the, this movie – so that's that's what the movie's about. Uh, I would – I can only describe this as – remember when I was talking about Satanic Panic yep. a week ago, Jarrett? 
think that, but multiplied to a degree, an nth degree that I can't even kind of explain. Uh, there's talk of cis white heteronormative males. Uh, there's talk of like, oh my god, I, I don't. Even, okay, I'm gonna sound bad because I'm commenting on it, but it's like you remember how we were saying it's like those ideas are awesome. It's like nice, but when you like just lay it down in front of people, it's like here it is, eat it up. It's like look how progressive and woke we are. It's like oh, you could like try to incorporate this in a way that's like not like just dumping it in your fucking face i see that but what's interesting is like i don't think kevin smith has like that's what he's always kind of done that's why like chasing amy even back in like was it 97 (laughs) it's like he was doing the same thing like in writing that exact same way so i don't know if it's like a new thing to write that way but he's always kind of been there and now the world's just caught up to him i i no i think (laughs) i think you're i I can agree with you completely like chasing amy is like that i think it's like now it's kind of more i don't know it's like yeah the rest of the world has caught up to him but it's like a comical like they talk about him being a vegan they talk about being woke and being like cis males and and like all that kind of stuff and like i don't know what what it is i think it's the fact that it's so like heavy-handed that uh when you're watching it you kind of just for me at least i was like all right all right. It's like, you know, you're like, come on, get to the Isn't next. Somebody thing. admitting that they're woke, essentially admitting that they used to be prejudiced. Pro- he'd, he'd probably love that, though, because he'd be able to say is like, he'd be like, I was, but I'm not anymore. And I've learned, I think. Right. I don't know. I, well, I, he, I mean, when he talks <laughs> about being vegan, layers. it's kind of like that. Yeah, there's layers, man. There's layers. And then there's like this shining glimmer that's Ben Affleck for about three minutes in this thing. And you're just like, Oh my God. You're like, this is why people used to talk about Kevin Smith, like so passionately and like with such respect because you're pervert. Fervor. Oh, I thought you said pervert. I was like, I don't know what I was doing. I know I'm not wearing pants, but, um, no, so anyways, it's just Ben Affleck talking about like having kids and like what being like a parent is kind of. And you're just like, man, that's like I think why people used to talk so passionately about Kevin Smith. Like things like what you were talking about or when it was brought up last week about like intellectual banter and things like clerks and chasing Amy. I was like, I think that's like where it actually he shines the most. It's just it's such a afterthought of his movies now that it, it bums me out because that's the thing too. It's like, I, I would love to, I used to love Kevin Smith movies like more than anything. And then, and then I grew up and I feel like he never did. If that makes sense, but I don't know. And then they end with Pearl jam and it really bummed me out because I was like, <laughs> I was like, you son of a bitch, you're taking Pearl jam from me in this. Like, it's like they snippet the song daughter because it's like, Oh look, Jay Muse has a daughter now, but it's really Kevin Smith's daughter. But they like, they edit the song around the words. And then you're just like, I don't know guys. Sometimes, you know, you ever have like a piece of music that you actually like a lot and then it's presented in a movie, but not how it's supposed to be. And you're just like, it's like, you could have not had it in there, I guess. Anyways, Jay and silent Bob reboot. Uh, my guess is that Jarrett, would probably give this a half a star, maybe a one star. <laughs> well, I just wouldn't uh, watch it. That's the key. <laughs> I know. 
But it was last week I was talking about how it, like it said it was available and then it wasn't. And then I turned on my fire stick and then it was like Jay and Silent Bob reboot now available. And I was like, I guess I have to watch it now. You know, cheer, you know, Justin, you guys know. I was just thinking about this. You know, Kevin Smith is kind of a Lloyd Kaufman-esque figure because he makes because he's making these like he keeps regurgitating these things over and over and over again. He's only got like this like kind of like core couple of ideas or really dumb ideas, and he just goes for it. He has this like little cadre of people that he keeps around. He has like his own daughter now that he can keep making movies with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that's about it. And like I guess like his what he thinks are incisive comments about society are like not they're very obvious and be like i you agree with them but it's like the way but this isn't good filmmaking <laughs> and the, the thing that actually makes me think of kaufman though is the way that like if you guys remember uh when tusk was being kind of uh oh yeah like the whole thing about that do you know about this justin like the how um, you how oh, we how they marketed the it idea on a podcast yeah. yeah well yeah so they came up with the idea but then there came this other part um where it was like he would take the movie on the road himself, like a William Castle. Yeah. And he would be there and you'd have to like, and that's the only way you could see the movie. And he was, he would say it for a while. The only way this movie is going to be distributed is if I'm in the room and I'm taking it town to town and it would create these big sellouts and it worked well. But then eventually, well, that's not true because this is the movie business. And then it was dumped on DVD and everybody could watch it that way. And with Jay and Silent Bob reboot, there was like a period of time where he was taking this to screenings that like, if you wanted to go see this in the theater, it was like 65, dollars <laughs> like a ticket mm-hmm. and it's like so it was like a big kind of like an event idea of like selling something to a person who like i don't know who the like the kevin smith audience is now like who are the, the most committed people i mean i imagine the like smod cast is still around and uh doing, i saw yeah. that thing i saw that their little road show plastered all over my facebook and like oh, i would have yeah. gone but like you know kids kind of hard to go out and see kevin smith kind of yeah. deal wifey's not going <laughs> but, but would you pay 65 bucks <laughs> um I guess it depends on what it was. I mean, a yeah. comedy show. Maybe? I, well, I, I think know. it's like you see the movie, and I think there's a Q and A, and I think that's it. But which means sixty five. I mean, usually most theaters like you get to go see the movie, and the Q and A is free. But it became so. I imagine he's probably because he used to do the the evening with Kevin Smith stuff way back when. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. To me, it's like so. He's kind of like he's found a niche, which is like whatever your hustle is, I guess. Um, and then mm-hmm. he's got an audience that loves this stuff. Um, we still, every once in a while, get a comment on YouTube about uh, how mm-hmm. we don't know anything to suck a dick on chasing Amy and et cetera. And I go, my, really? po- my point is proven. My point is mm-hmm. proven. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy when there's, when a new Marvel movie comes out, Kevin Smith, will do like a whole like recap of everything he liked about it. And I enjoy listening to that. He's very positive when it talks to the, when you're talking about comic book movies and stuff. So, right. See, the one thing about that that uh, stands out for me against Kevin Smith, like not the Marvel stuff, but when BVS came out, and I know Jared's probably smirking, but when BVS came out, he went on his podcast and he was talking about how it was was wrong, it wasn't this, it wasn't that, and everyone Uh was like, whoa, 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 Kevin Smith, we thought you were the guy. And then he went back and he saw it again and he came back and he's like, I got a new I got a new vision on it. He's like, I see the movie through the movie. I see what it was supposed to be. (laughs) And I was like, hmm, I wonder if like there was damage to his image here and he had to like Mm -hmm. backtrack a little bit or do some uh, do some smoothing. And I was like, I'm Um, on you. Yeah, I'm watching uh, yeah. Kevin Smith's superhero commentary in a post-BVS world is what it is, I guess. <laughs> we all live in a post-BVS world, my man. It's just, I, 
and hey, maybe there was nothing there. It's just I'm I'm laser focused on these certain individuals that uh, I see I see between the lines, right, Jerry? That's right. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> well, RJ, I, I want to hear I want to hear your thoughts on Rambo: Last Blood. Oh, do you mean one of the Me best too. movies produced last year? Oh, is, is, is that is that the case? <laughs> so this was added to Prime Two. I think when you had seen it in theaters, you had mentioned that the last or the conclusion of this movie, which I'm guessing you meant the last half an hour, last yeah. 20 minutes, yeah. was something to behold. So the hour, because the movie is only like 85, 89 minutes. It's an hour and a half. Clean. Yeah. Clean. First hour of this movie, not much is happening. And I think that's fine. Uh, like while not much was happening, I was like, he's a cowboy now. I love that. I love seeing Sylvester Stallone as a cowboy. He's going against the cartels in Mexico. I was like, that's fine. I see why they're going this route. Whatever. Um, But then it comes back and you see a series of events play out, Jared. And uh, I remember you detailed it a little bit, uh, how he has this system of tunnels underneath his farmhouse. I have to say, number one, I am fully on board with the tunnels because one thing that they've always nailed in the Rambo movies is that he has PTSD, he is unstable, and he's he just can't adjust. So that dude would have tunnels in his house. Maybe not as elaborate of a system, <laughs> but he would definitely have a bunker with some sort of tunnel. The only issue I have, uh, and this is just being from the prairie up here, is a lot of his land has the tunnels, but then there's hay bales on top. And it's like, I wonder how deep his tunnels are that he can still have that crop being produced and go over it with like a baler, heavy machinery, guys. Mm heavy machinery and not cave in these tunnels anyways that's neither here nor there so there's a series of tunnels justin you have you seen rambo last blood justin not yet okay so there's a series of tunnels and i'm i don't think i'm spoiling anything here no (laughs) but he runs afoul with the cartel as jared pointed out before and then they come back to his farmhouse where he sets up uh, a labyrinth of death devices homomone style in his tunnels. I'm talking sharpened sticks. We're talking like trip wires that fall onto rakes with uh, like boards with nails through them. But there's also some of the most elaborate death <laughs> sis- like <laughs> devices. Like it, it's rivaling like saw on some levels. You get like, nice. I think you get a lot of limbs chopped off. You get, I think, 1,400 heads blown up with shotguns, which I wasn't expecting as many as there was. And you're, you're just seeing heads explode. Uh, so the last 20 minutes is him running through these tunnels, just wasting an army of dudes with this, like, folksy country song playing in the background. And it's, it's like a hilarious montage of... <laughs> Like, it's just him completely blowing up bodies. And then there's this song playing in the background about, like, being a good old boy or something like that. It's it's pretty it's pretty good. Like, I enjoyed it a lot. I got exactly out of it what I wanted to. Yep. And the whole time I was thinking, I remember Jarrett said that when he saw this, him and Corey were laughing. And a guy in the theater kind of looked at him and was like, ugh, like gave you guys the stink eye. But I, I don't see how you couldn't laugh at some of these things in this movie, like ripping organs out of bodies, like which he's done before. 
in John Rambo or Rambo, he uh, rips that guy's throat out of his uh, his head, and like that's awesome. This one's a little bit goofier, uh, a little bit. Well, because he just like he just like, it's not even well edited. Like he just appears in places. Like it's like he's like peekaboo uh-huh. shoots you dead peekaboo. <laughs> it's like he's transporting all across this tunnel system, and but it's just like because at that point you're just like you throw up your hands because you're like who, like obviously no one else mm-hmm. cares, but that's fine. I'll, I'm going along with it. Yeah. Yep. Well, he's doing the Jason Voorhees stuff. Yeah. Like later day Jason, where it's just like he's wherever he needs to be always at the right time. And he's always like he's just like, I don't know. I it's like I said, it's exactly what I wanted out of it. So uh, just that last you could probably fast forward most of the movie because nothing really happens until that last. You'd miss the the clavicle. Oh, yes. There's some there's pretty gruesome where he reaches into a guy man's body and breaks his collarbone out of his body. And you're just like, whoa, manipulating it to interrogate. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like twisting it around. Fatality. Fatality for sure, man. But uh, yeah, like Rambo, Cowboy Rambo. Good stuff. (laughs) Good stuff. So uh, happy to report this is a certified creeps pick. Uh, John Rambo, Rambo, Last Blood. Don't go to Burma, Jarrett. It's it's a it's a war zone. You know what I mean, bud? Oh, I know. I heard. I heard. Yeah, so approved. Approved. Uh, how about uh, jellyfish? <laughs> jellyfish? You want to hear about jellyfish? Damn. All right. So uh, this was I watched this with Andrea. Uh, we've actually been like watching keeping things separate lately i've been watching a lot of tv we're kind of just having our own uh per- like nothing's wrong you guys nothing's wrong but we're having a nice little uh, holiday from each other and just in general so we're watching some shows uh we watched this one together and um it takes place in england Jer. and we thought it was going to be like kind of like a comedy drama but Life it turned affirming. out yeah, but it turned out to be way sadder. This is like this is almost a sad bastard film, but I think it's like I don't think it would qualify because like the girl, I don't think she wants to be in this situation. So you have this young girl and this is somewhere in England. Uh she's taking care of her two younger siblings. Her mom is like a deadbeat person who is either alcoholic or depressed but can't do anything. So the young girl, she's like in high school. She has a job and uh she comes home from school, cooks her little siblings some dinner, goes to her job at an arcade. At the arcade, she makes an extra buck uh, giving handies to old guys behind the arcade. So that was in the first 10 minutes. And we were watching and we were like, whoa, right. We weren't, weren't expecting that in this movie because it's described on Amazon Prime as a like a plucky young English girl who wants to be a stand up comic. And we were like. Sounds good. Comedy. No problem. So she starts like giving hand jobs to guys behind the arcade and we're like, whoa. And then it shows her at school and she's getting bullied by everyone. And we're like, "Uh oh, this isn't very good. And then you see her mom wastes all their money on stupid shit and like they're getting kicked out of their house. And then later this thing gets even darker in like the sexual aspects of things. And we were just watching this and we're like, oh, my God, <laughs> like it, it it bummed us out quite a bit. Um, It's actually it's a pretty good show. It's definitely a it's a well-made movie. Uh, the guy who did this, I don't I don't know anything else. He's I don't think he's made anything this, else. This is their uh, feature debut. 
Ah, well, it's like for a first movie for sure too. Then like um, our first feature, uh, it's definitely a well well made movie. It's good. You really feel for the girl, uh, but it's a it's a it's a sad affair, Jarrett. It's not a not a very cheery movie. Um, it's good. Uh, it's got some sensitive stuff later on. If you don't like, uh, not even the threat or the implication, Jarrett. If you just want to see some full on. You know, uh, there's a little bit of that, and that's never good. Um, and yeah, you just feel bad for this girl the whole the whole time. And then uh, the movie kind of ends, and it's just like, yeah, life isn't good sometimes to people. As we, as Frank pointed out when I was, he's like, I think your dislike of Portrait of a Woman on Fire is a little unfair. Sometimes life is unfair, man. <laughs> like in Jellyfish, life's just not fair. Are you gonna check it out, Jerem? Um, what is this on? What platform? I think on Amazon Prime. Okay. Well, probably not, but you know, it's <laughs> I know it's a possibility. Well, I'm sure people are happy to hear something about a movie that's not phantasm for once. So, uh, no, it was it was a good show. It's just uh it is a it's a major bummer, if you know what I mean. Yep. <sighs> yep. Well, I don't know if uh you two want to talk about Master and Commander. Ooh, you mean uh, the Naughty Boys and uh, the Life at Sea? That's right. Well, uh, Justin, do you want to uh, take this away, or uh, do you want me to lead you in? Or sure, sure. I can uh, kick us off with some highlights. So, um, yeah, I wanted to sync up with RJ on uh, a possible uh, co-pick for the Mm -hmm. week, and I was like, hmm, what's one of your favorites? I remember you guys talking about Master Commander and the best of the decade. It's been a long time since I've seen that. Um, Actually, I saw it in the theater when it just came out, and I remember coming away from it and just being like, it was for some reason it was instantly forgettable, but -hmm. I can say that this time it truly blew my dick off. Whoa. Whoa. You heard it here Um, first, folks. Um, it's pretty much everything you could want from a battling tall ship movie. Um, I mean, those shots of Russell Crowe just kind of hanging off the ship, like, you know, like a boss. Um, Mm -hmm. it doesn't waste any time with, Oh, we're in the port of call. We got to go out on this venture. No, we are right there off the coast of Brazil and we got this state-of-the-art French ship on our ass. And how are we going to deal with it? Uh, great character. To, I mean, there's a ton of people all jam-packed into the ship. The, my, I guess my one complaint is it seems like this ship gets blown to hell quite a few times. But it always looks pretty immaculate there on the high seas. Um, but I think this is might be one of like Jude Law's like best performances. He's a great contrast to Russell Crowe in this movie. Um, the Paul Galapagos. Is it Paul Bettany, not Jude Law? The Doctor? Yeah. yeah, yeah, Paul Bettany. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my bad, my bad. No, no okay. problem. I I confuse people all the time, like Ian Holm and Bob <laughs> Hoskins. <laughs> Whatever. But yeah, yeah I thought it was amazing. Um, definitely better tall ship battles than this compared to like the Pirates Three or whatever. What mm-hmm. I was hoping for. Um, nice realistic stuff there. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I'm gonna enjoy writing a review on that one pretty soon. But um, yeah, I want to see hear the RJ take on it. Well, so this was uh, one of the movies Jarrett lent me when I, I was sick for three months with shingles, I think. Mm, maybe. maybe. Or it was. it's definitely in the making RJ a man list uh, yeah. because I hadn't seen Master and Commander. And Jarrett was like, you got to see Master and Commander. Um, I like it for all the reasons you said, but uh, there are a few things that I think are just like spectacular in this movie. The production, okay. number one. Is oh, yeah spectacular uh and i think it really shines when it's just like 
the ship is just working and you see people like up the masts, like mm-hmm. stitching sails or uh, any of the action scenes I think are so well done and so well presented to you. It's just like, it's like, here's the it's fucking chaos. They could, that could have easily been like super jarring with like all the cannons mm-hmm. flying everywhere and the blast. But yep. yes, it's very smooth delivery. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like it's so easy to follow, even though it's like, uh, chaotic. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like chaos, like things are happening, but you're never you're never lost in the action. Uh, I also just think this is this is definitely in that that man weepies category where uh, I've been. I don't know if I take it. I, I will if I hadn't. But uh, those it's just like old man movies that you can appreciate uh, because there's, there's something about like this. I don't I don't even want to say like nautical, but like these bands of guys like together on something and not even just guys like bands of people together for like a like a shared goal or something and like working towards it and it's so um i don't know it's it's one of those things it's you can admire from afar and also be like i would never want to live there ever but (laughs) it's like it's so cool to see other people um and like so i mentioned the production but i really like the way that they lay out some of the stuff like uh right in the opening sequence it's so nice where you get like the guy sleeping in the boat and it's all the hammocks and you just get that like midway shot of all the hammocks kind of like swaying back and forth and it it looks so nice and again it's like you'd never want to be there but man does it look cool um Mm -hmm. yeah you get you get a little like it's creepy with that ship in the mist. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's, I, I love that stuff so much. And, and I actually like, cause we've talked about like the terror before and like these nautical adventure things. I actually think the ocean's like super scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like, it's, it's one of those things. Like I don't like we, we watch like a ton of horror and, and it's one of those things. It's like movies themselves. Like sometimes horror movies, there's nothing to be scared at, but like, I actually don't like, the idea of being out in the water it's that's something that like i find actually like spooky uh so i i like seeing these boats out in the water and things like that and it's about brotherhood it's about men on men getting down and just bonding (laughs) together right jared chain of command too there's a great scene where that that guy you know he steps out of the order and russell crowe lets him have it well it's about tradition and it's like you can't he's he's like you can't do that soon as you bend even a little bit jared you're gonna break can't show any weakness right that's right not at all and then there's other stuff too like i i do love the paul bettany stuff uh as like mm-hmm. a uh, what i can't i don't remember what he describes it yeah naturalist where they're doing oh. the charles darwin thing yep. and uh mm-hmm. the build-up to that where it's him always always trying to get to it and then you have that scene where he does collect all of his creatures. All oh, that and music. Then it, mm-hmm. And the music's building up. And then it's just like, oh, mm-hmm. there's the ship. And, he, that, and it's just you abandoned for the cause, right? And you're just like, that, man, inspiring. That was another unique thing about it. Because I think it's all like it's established classical music throughout it. And it works so well. It's not like not, not an original score. It's like stuff you are familiar with. But it yeah. definitely adds yeah, to the whole feel of it. 100%. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Master and Commander is like a bona fide, uh, like perfect movie. And I, I am bummed out. I think we've talked about this before. It's a series of books. There's like yeah. six or seven. The Aubrey and, uh, Maturin series, I guess is what it's what Yeah. Yeah. And it was very clearly 
intended to if popular enough to be maybe a series of movies because the ending leaves it open and it's like oh man it would have been so cool if they had kept going but uh i'm glad we got one one as good as it is but what about you jer yeah um i think it's why i would say that this is peter weir's best movie Uh, i think it's better than truman show uh just for for the sense of scope uh, and scale like there's like no other movies like this like as far as like uh, these nautical battles, like the closest would be like these Pirates of the Caribbean movies, which do not uh, quite go down the same road. Like there are Disney movies at the end of the day, uh, but it's like yeah, and like I want more. I think it's the they're the best. This is the best Star Trek movie. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, just like similar to us, like a submarine movie. They're for, few and far between, but done right, man. They really get you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it looks great. Uh, yeah, it's Russell Crowe in his prime. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all, it's everything about it's good. One other thing I like a lot, Jared, is all the like the uh, the child um, like lieutenants, yeah, uh, like the lieutenants that are all the kids and they're like born into royalty, so they're like they're not royalty, but like of privilege, so that they're getting groomed to be like captains and like all those things. I love the scene where they like board the other ship and it's those little kids going out there and they're fighting and they're like, ah, cutting each other's fucking arms off and stuff. And you're just like, man, like not in a love it for violence thing, but it's like, it's like, Mm -hmm. that's how it was, man. That's how it was. (laughs) Are you, uh, and yeah, even the kid element. Yeah. That that could be jarring, but it it flows nicely into the whole thing. I, the only other thing it kind of reminds me of is in like Saving Private Ryan when they find the kids, the Hitler Youth Night knives. And that's like going the other way. But I think you can put those things together. It's like, yeah, it's it's not as jarring. But at the same time, you're like, man, there's like eight year old kid here fucking cutting dudes dicks off with swords and stuff. It's <laughs> and, pretty and, crazy. And, and now here it is blowing off people's dicks blowing off people's dicks yeah I, I think i miss i missed that little detail at the end what he's he says something like the captain of the the french ship had died previously and he got like all mad and wanted to leave right away what was that all about well so when he he goes to see the captain and the doctor gives him the sword right later yeah what what's revealed paul bettany was like no no the doctor was a different guy he's like i saw that guy dead so it was like the captain was pretending to be the doctor so that he oh, could I get see. away. Yeah. And then okay. that's why Russell Crowe's like, that son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, okay. I misheard it. I was thinking that the they said something about like the captain got sick and died. Okay. So that makes more sense. It's, it's like a, a switcheroo, right, Jarrett? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you liked it, man. Yeah, glad you uh gave me a perfect excuse to revisit it. Yeah, I I mean I was a little sleepy after getting through a diary of a country priest and man, this two hours and twenty minutes, it zoomed by. Yeah, I was yeah. all pumped. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, it's good stuff. What else you got over there, Justin? What else you've been creeping on? All right. I got a few creeps. Have you guys ever seen a show called I Love You, Philip Morris from 2009? Uh, I have. Yeah. Okay. I, I have not. Um, so this is Imagine Catch Me If You Can with the Shawshank Redemption, but the total opposite and very, very gay and proud of it. Yeah. Starring Jim Carrey. <laughs> um it's I, a good show. I just uh, saw but, I don't have it as watched. Uh, that was uh, maybe why you uh, – yeah. Anyways, keep going about Philip Morris. Sorry. So, um, yeah, Leonard Maltin recommended this movie, and I was like – he said, this is a highly underrated Jim Carrey movie. This movie uses Jim Carrey in every way Jim Carrey is best at. And I was like, well, I have to see that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a great time. Um, 
so basically he plays this like con artist who uh, once he you know finally comes out of the closet he wants to um he go live a life of crime and he is just like relentless at his like pursuits of and i i kind of envisioned it i wasn't sure what to think about con artist at first but at, lo- at first he's like more of like an accident con artist like he'll like get hurt and try to get like yep. personal settlement claims kind of stuff and yeah so eventually he gets found out and sent to the slammer and yeah but and by the time we catch up with him there, he like has the whole prison system figured out and he meets Ewan McGregor, which he's great as usual. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a fantastic, um, you know, guy on guy love story there between those two. I thought it was very striking that in the prison they wear these bright yellow um, prison suits, which I'm very mm-hmm. accustomed to orange. So yeah. yellow, that because well, even the movie poster choice. is orange. <laughs> So, yeah, not sure mm. what was going on with that. And, yeah, the big long con at the very end was very ref- reminiscent of Shawshank Redemption. Uh, mm. Yeah, it's a really good show. Um, yeah, if the whole gay thing doesn't bother you. But, I mean, it's, it's 2020. Should it? Probably not. There you go. Doesn't bother me. I don't know. Yeah, this, I, uh, I just remember yeah, this movie being on my radar way back when because uh, it was con artists. Uh, and I was like, ah. at the time, I was like trying to watch every con artist movie I could because they're usually always – worth watching because it's like screenwriters at their most clever i guess trying to figure out kind of ideas i'm not sure if this movie had that but it's just like i think i was waiting for it to be like five bucks on dvd when it mm-hmm. back in i guess at 2009 but then it just kind of fell off my radar completely and then when you i saw you watch it this week i went oh yeah that movie but i've not seen it mm-hmm. do you have anything on this one rj oh i just remembered um i didn't have it tagged as watched i uh i think it's because i've seen like I'm pretty confident I've seen more than half of it. Maybe that's why I didn't have it as watched. But uh, um, I remember liking it when I uh, the bits that I had seen about it. But um, if you uh, you say it's a good deal, I'll uh, I'll definitely try to check it out in full. Yeah, solid if comedy. Yeah, nice. All right. So I know you guys aren't the biggest fan of the the, the superhero movies. So mm-hmm. I decided to take it upon myself to watch one that I agree is truly awful. So I revisited X Men: The Last Stand. Oh, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. recently started the X-Men franchise from scratch and it really, it kind of put in perspective my, my feelings on the whole series. Um, cause being an X-Men, um, animated, uh, series kid, I was a big Cyclops fan mm-hmm. and I watched a few episodes of that on Disney plus and it's, and I was a Cyclops fan because they actually treated Cyclops with respect in the show mm-hmm. where they treat him like a little bitch in the movies. Uh-huh. I guess that's some kind of a Brian Singer, um, agenda there. Mm-hmm. He's all about the um, the Wolverine. So, and I remember seeing, I was actually studying abroad when I saw this, and I was super excited after, because X, X2 is a real good show, and mm-hmm. they do a great job of setting up Dark Phoenix, and it was like, oh yeah, we're going to get that big payoff in X3. And I was excited because all the promotional ads were showing Sentinels, it was going to be like the X-Men cartoon show on the screen, and live and living color and gosh i mean it's a it's a decently put together movie in terms of action and like so if you don't care about these characters you'll probably have a fine time with it but the treatment of the story and the the characters is like a big slap in the face for me Mm -hmm. um on just so many levels like um gosh you you start right from the beginning like they it starts off with a uh, a flashback 10 years flashback magneto and professor x go and visit gene gray as a kid and I mean, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen could have just shown up to this house and been like, okay, 10 years later, whatever. But no, they do the CGI de-aging crap on their face, and so their face look, their faces look plastic. So this mm-hmm. is, what, uh, 2000, 
four CGI, three CGI. Six. So yeah, is it all that old? Yeah, jeez. Uh, so yeah, they, they've come a long, long way. Um, the promise of Sentinels? No, 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 no. This is a training simulation, and Colossus is just there to throw Wolverine at said Sentinel off in the distance, and we see Sentinel's head fall to the ground. End mm-hmm. of Sentinel. I'm like, ugh, miserable. Um, all the best characters, like. I know they never gave Cyclops much respect in the thing, but I mean, he dies off screen. Total kick in the nuts yeah. there. Mystique, mm-hmm. actually, rewatching these movies, I found oh, out that yeah. Mystique is probably my favorite character. And yeah, she gets shot with a little dart, loses power, she's gone. Profe- they blow up Professor X, the leader of the X Men. For what mm-hmm. reason? Oh, so it can be the Wolverine show. Mm-hmm. So now we're with Wolverine. And you guys are big comic book fans. Uh, Jared, please tell yeah. me. If Dark Phoenix is throwing her disintegrate powers at people, is Wolverine's healing powers that good to where he can instantly recover from disintegration? Uh, It depends on who's writing it. Uh, it, I I think as time has gone on, it's like probably at a ridiculous level where it's like, oh, it's sped up now over time. But like, yeah, there's like because one of the iconic covers uh, is whatever it is, Uncanny X-Men 142, The Days of Future Past. And it's Mm -hmm. uh, Wolverine being blasted by a Sentinel thing. And he's and he just gets disintegrated and he's dead. And all they're left are adamantium bones. So (laughs) that would fall into the same camp, I think, as Dark Phoenix going supernova. But yeah, I mean. Yeah, movies, well, am I right? <laughs> and a, another thing just to cut in and add on to that, I also was a huge fan of the 90s cartoon. Love uh, that shit. Well, I think we all and were. We all were. Whatever, whatever happened to Chameleon, right? He was. He's just gone, man. They, I guess Brian's... Morphling. Morphling? Morph. Morph. Yeah. Well, Morph the Nightcrawler had, from the second one. Why would he yeah. be there? Morph got into some trouble. because totally th- wasted. I think he had like an addiction <laughs> problem. Or something. Uh, but anyways, I was going to say, in the animated series, in their days of future past, Wolverine gets blasted by a Sentinel. And then in that one, too, they just have his skeleton, like, on display. So it's in co- comics and the cartoon. So he can't. But I do remember there was a comic book a couple years back where Vo- Wolverine regenerated from a single drop of blood yeah. or something like that. So it's like, as Jared said, it depends on who's writing it. But, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, stuff – take it as as it is. But continue. Juggernaut, Juggernaut, one of my favorite villains. I actually hadn't seen the little YouTube video on the Juggernaut bitch until after I saw the movie. So I didn't quite have an appreciation at the time. Um, <laughs> but he looks awful. He's just like this yeah. big hulking guy with this – stone thing around his head and he just charges people totally wasted him i mean there's just they jam so many mutants into this and for no purpose whatsoever you have like um porcupine man just kind of sticking people here and multiple man pretending that he makes up an entire camp just just way overblown um yeah shoot and then in the last few minutes of the movie they retcon the like, because what Magneto loses his powers and Professor X dies, and they retcon that in the last two shots. And actually, the one great thing about this movie, Beast, Kelsey Grammer, that was a, that was a that was premium choice there. But otherwise, uh, X Men: The Last Stand, it is as disappointing as I remember it being. I uh, I like your Beast poll because I remember watching X Two in theaters. And seeing Dr. Hank McCoy being interviewed on TV in the bar. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, that's, uh, no, wait, Hank McCoy. That's, what's Beast's name, Jared? Hank McCoy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You're thinking, are you, you're thinking of Hank Pym. 
No, I was getting confused now because Dr. McCoy. Oh, owns. shit. Well, there you go. That's yeah, I got all thrown off now. But uh, yeah, I remember seeing Beast on TV and I was like, holy shit. I was like, is Beast going to be an X3? Because that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, yeah, sorry. I remember thinking when I was leading the theater, you know, that amazing um, animated show um, theme song. I was like, if they would have played this in the credits, I mean, all would have been fine. I could have just forgot about it. Listen to that amazing guitar riff. But no, it was just some throwaway song. So there you go. Any thoughts on this one, JD? Well, I remember seeing this in theater, and uh, I, I, for some reason, I didn't think it was like awful. <laughs> like I, I thought I was like, uh, like I, I mean, I don't, I, I haven't watched it since, and I don't want to ever watch it again. At the time, I was kind of like, I don't know, I'm a sucker for tandem mutant fights. I guess like that's like something I, I was at the time being like, Oh, well at least I got that. I didn't think it was like the worst possible thing. I, I was never a fan of the first X-Men movie at all. And then mm-hmm. I, uh, at the time I loved X too. Um, yeah. and then this movie was just kind of like, eh, yeah, I, I never bought it. So, I mean, that kind of tells you what, what I thought of it ultimately. It's just like, it wasn't like the worst thing. It wasn't the dirt worst, but mm-hmm. it's like a few steps above that, I guess. But yeah, I, uh, I don't know that that X Men franchise. However, how many are there of them? Like, there's like I think there's like ten. Is it ten? Mm-hmm. Okay. Something like that. Been going for a long time. Going a long, long time. time. I guess there's and now it's done. I guess officially, right? Well, well, well until bombs. that until oh, not until well, New Mutants. Until till New Mutants oh, finally new mutants. Come, That's right. uh, emerges, which apparently uh-huh. well, could never happen. Well, I mean, I think what the current rumor is is because Artemis Fowl is going direct to Disney Plus. They're like. They're like, just drop new mutants on Disney Plus. Just do it. Yeah. Just why not? Just do it. But Dark Phoenix is on Crave, Jared. I could check that thing out. Like, sure could. Tonight. I'm going to get there one of these days. All right. So I got uh, one of JD's favorite movies. I watched uh, Greenberg for the first time. Oh, one of my picks of the best of the decade. Yeah. Mm. So um, despite Ben Stiller uh, Stiller being a total sad bastard asshole in this, you know, I thought it was enjoyable watching his misadventures. Um, Yeah, Ben Stiller, I mean, I just like him in general. So even if he is being this lovable asshole, it's still kind of enjoyable to watch him go along. And you have the very charming Greta Gerwig as the uh, love interest that he's just a total dickhead to. Yeah. yeah, It's a typical Noah Baumbach film, but a lot more glum. And um, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I'm glad I saw it. I wouldn't wouldn't have thought about it without JD's recommendation. Yeah, yeah. This is the movie that I mean. It's been a while since I saw it. When did I first watch this? 2015. So I guess five years ago. Um, yeah, I just like I completely didn't even know about this movie when it came out at the time. And then uh, one of the people I follow on Letterbox just like loved this movie, and I was like, well, I'll give it a shot. It's Noah Baumbach, and yeah, I I don't know, it hit me <laughs> in a way because it's kind of like when I watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, where I relate way too much to mm-hmm. Larry David's character. I found mm-hmm. that like there was just like cer- a certain elements of like the Greenberg character that I was just like. Oh man, this is like how I think inside my brain all the time. Not like to this degree in the cinematic mm-hmm. sense, but like I'm like I don't know. I found this very relatable content. <laughs> if we were somehow able to get together and on your birthday and start having the people sing happy birthday for you, would you yell out at RJ to get off his dick, get off your dick? I I actually <laughs> he has I, 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 ha- I mean I'm pretty sure I would definitely say that. <laughs> There's been many occasions where Jared yells at me in public settings. That's why I try to stay six feet away from him at all times. Like all six meters. Thing. For six meters. All right. Uh-huh. 
So I rewatched um, Onward, which just hit the mm. Disney Plus. Uh, kind of a kick in the nuts for anyone who bought it uh, or rented it digitally, I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah, real quick on this one, um, it's a good show. I enjoyed it. Um, I'm very curious nice. to hear uh, Jarrett's opinion on it because there's a big um, Dungeons and Dra- Dragons fantasy element to Onward, and mm. um, okay. one of my friends' friends is really into that scene, and so he thought it was spot on with its interpretation of like Manticores and all of like. <laughs> oh yeah. Huh. So I'm just like I've I have never like seen anything about this movie. I'm like actually on the onward letterbox thing and I'm like looking at this and I'm like, what is this thing? Like I've never seen a trailer. Um I see people I mean, obviously people have watched it, but I guess it wasn't like a big Pixar movie though. Like it wasn't like one of their larger releases. I think it got caught up in all this uh, action here, no? Or is yeah, that what it was? Of, oh, okay. That, yeah, it kind oh, of came oh, out at the beginning bit. of the COVID. I think the, the numbers weren't great on it at first, but it, yeah, it's kind of gone through. But yeah, it's a good show. It kind of hits you in the feels there toward the end with the whole uh, characters kind of you know figuring out their place. Um, but yeah, I'll let it be a surprise for you then. Okay. Um, all right. So next, uh, let's see. So most nights I'm sitting there, you know, writing my letterbox reviews, um, waiting for my wife to go to sleep so then I can put on whatever I want to watch. But mm-hmm. this particular night, I'm just like, hey, we should watch something together, have a little stay-at-home date among nice. this um, coronavirus, uh, these this quarantine. So I popped on the old uh, Father of the Bride. Uh, per usual, she looked at me and said, do we really have to watch something so old? I'm like... <laughs> Can you think of anything newer you would like to watch? And she's like, no. I'm like, all right, well, we're going to watch Father of the Bride. And Dan, this is about as, as charming as it get for me. Um, gets uh, just so darn relatable. I mean, you got Steve Martin right there just, you know, saying um, what it's like to be a dad of the Father of the Bride. Um, it made me think a lot about, like, all the weddings I've been in throughout my life. Um, myself getting married, my two older sisters getting married. So super relatable for me remembering those days. So Great 90s um, uh, sappy movie, but I dig it. That's I'm that kind of guy. All right. And so I'll go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I uh, I definitely watched this when I was a kid, <laughs> like at some point, because I love Steve Martin. And uh, but yeah, I I don't I think I don't know if I ever saw the second one, though. I think by that point uh, I was I saw not... the second one in theater. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, well, I did. Yeah, I mean, I did my not. sister. I, I have seen Mixed Nuts, which I think is uh, probably not as good. Okay. <laughs> All right, and then I have a little bit of a che- I got one more. It's a little bit of a cheater. So after I um got done with Master Commander, I was on such a I was on such a high at was it one thirty in the morning. I was like, All right, I'm at least gonna start Kill List. And I really, really, really want to finish Kill List. Um so Ben Wheatley's film, um, I'd seen a field in England before. Yep. And to see that kind of aesthetic to like a modern day hitman story. And then, like, of course, I've seen, like, the cover of it. So there's this whole, like, circle with the triangle thing yeah. that gets drawn on the back of the picture. And I don't know what the payoff to that is. So I'm super excited to see how this turns out. And I was also very proud of myself that uh, the main character's wife is Swedish. And, like, whenever she's, like, screaming at her mom about how awful her husband is on the phone, I was like, oh, she's in, she's talking in Swedish. And then later on, they kind of hint you in because she's, like used to be like a Swedish soldier or something. But yeah, super excited to finish off your creep pick oh, of Kill List. Yeah. Hopefully later tonight. Are you, are you watching with subtitles? I should, yeah, because there, there's some very thick British accent in there yes. that I, I'm sure I probably miss some stuff. Yeah, definitely watch it with subtitles. It helps quite his, a bit. His buddy with the big nose, he, he plays the big like Puritan guy in Field in England, right? Yes. And, uh, okay, yeah. 
Oh, he's yeah. also the Hound in Game of Thrones. Uh, okay. Or maybe I'm wrong. Actually, no, he's not, not the that. Hound. No, he's not the Hound. Who is he? In the, he's yeah. uh, one of the Greyjoys? Somebody. Yeah. He's somebody. He's yeah. somebody. He's a bunch of other things. Oh, I lied. I have another pick. Oh. Are you, do, you, do you know what this is? I, th- I think I do. <laughs> All right. So I finally got, for my second appearance on the show, I finally got around to watching JD's directorial debut of Capes. That's wow. right. And I was super impressed that you made a feature-length movie out of this concept. I mean, did you script this whole bad boy out? No. It, uh, it was like, I mean, there was a plan, but it, I mean, it's an improvised dialogue yeah. and everything like that. You could yeah. definitely tell there was a little bit of improvised, but yeah, I was super impressed, like, that it was an actual solid um, hour 30 for, um, had you done any shorts before that? Uh, not really. We, wow. I, I, was, I mean, I just wanted to jump in and uh, my friend Mike and I, we just wanted to make like a movie. <laughs> We're just like, oh, let's just do it. And yeah. yeah, I mean, you definitely had a vision. I mean, director wise, I mean, the whole thing flows together really well between like the, um, so it's a mockumentary. So you have like these, superheroes you know doing their thing and um and it cuts to like the shots of them against a black um wall like kind of saying what they think about what's going on i would have never recognized you as the red duck until <laughs> i saw those credits rolling i was like that was the red duck and i had to go fast for uh, rewind back and it's like oh yeah i guess that kind of is your chin <laughs> so i think my favorite part of uh, capes was the red skeletor mask guy oh. uh yeah he was amazing baron von chaos uh, that yeah, the actual uh, the actor of that Mark Muir he uh, I don't know if you know the games like he it, RJ what's the one company out of Edmonton the one that that was big at one point and then like Mass Effect company. video game company in Edmonton uh, Bioware shit. yeah well that sounds that sounds about it's bi- right. I think, Bioware I think it's Bioware well yeah he yeah. he did some character stuff with them like he actually was like I think he is probably the only professional actor that's really kind of mm-hmm. still oh, okay. working that in that group but yeah no he and he's like a super like nerd like so he loved the idea so he just like showed up because he's also a vampire it <laughs> oh okay yeah I would have never guessed that um yeah props to you for getting that many people in uh spandex to run around a neighborhood yeah. um unashamedly so um it was funny to hear, you know, all these people sit around talking about fighting, fighting crime without actually sounding like they knew anything about what they were talking about. <laughs> Justice or whatever. That's right. Um, kind of a yeah, spoof mockumentary style. You got Alligator Man in, as the main character and his um, sidekick, uh, the Leaping Lizard, kind of a Batman and Robin st- t- style duo. I saw that in what in the credits you um, your inspiration was the old Batman show for this. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the like 60s Batman. Yeah, it's it's a love letter to the Westian style. What was your main inspiration for the whole mockumentary style? It kind of had like a Modern Family vibe to me, but man, this was like several years before Modern Family kind of repopularized that. Well, I mean, I'm trying to think if I – at that point, man, I think it was The Office, like the original British Office. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That I makes mean, sense. But it was just I like wanna... kind of like at the time it was just kind of coming down to uh, – how to make? How can you make something for like the least amount of money and make it make sense? Because if you try to make it look like a movie with a mini DV camera, it's not going to look very good. But it's like, well, if this looks yeah. like a documentary, it excuses uh, no production value. 
Yeah, that's a very clever idea. But yeah, like I said, it flowed together really nice. I enjoyed watching it. I mean, a few scenes drag out. Um, I think the the Captain Captain Satan scenes kind of go on long, a little <laughs> long with him just kind of um, trolling people. Um, but yeah, great diverse cast. There's some ladies in there as well. Um, yeah, it's a great accomplishment to have on your belt. Kudos. Well, well, thank you. I'm glad you. I'm glad you got something out of it. Mm-hmm. It's got those You've females. <laughs> Have you seen it yet, RJ? Was, uh, yeah, I watched it. At, was RJ uh, on the, the short cast list? Uh, we hadn't known each other at the time. Okay. Or uh, I would probably have been cast as somebody who is about to be threatened or the the implication put upon, <laughs> I, I think, is what would have happened. Because you were, what, 12 at the time? 13? When did, when did it come out? 2000 we, we, fil- we filmed it in 2003. Four? 14 so uh yeah you yeah. would have went to jail if you had filmed me in that movie yeah as a minor all, so how did you do this was the sound all off a boom or did you have people oh, mic'd? That, no that's all off the camera <laughs> oh nice you yeah. did i mean i've seen a, a lot of people on letterbox i follow they'll actually you know like hey check out my amateur film or whatever and that's one of the biggest problems is actually getting the sound captured and yeah you guys nailed that part well, that's okay. That's okay. Because I mean, I, when I was trying listening back to it not that long ago, I was kind of like, "Oh man!" Because I actually we did have a boom mic. Like actually, well, Captain Satan, uh, which is Mike, he uh, he was the sound okay. man, and uh, he he was recording sound the entire time. Um, but we just kind of like went, "Well, you know what? I don't know if it really matters if to mix this audio into this finished project that." I have no idea what's ever going to come of it, but I'm pretty sure I have mm-hmm. those tapes somewhere. But I'm glad. I'm glad that it worked for you because uh, I can't. Yeah, even, I can I, see I, the remaster. Yes, that's right. It won't look any better. That's sadly the truth. But uh, maybe it'll sound better. I don't know. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, we got any news we want to share before we jump into our actual movie? Uh, movies, hey, Jer. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Twin, Twin Peaks 30th anniversary. Am I right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Trolls uh, World Tour hits VOD tomorrow, uh, Friday, <laughs> and uh, the theater owners very peeved at Universal for moving forward with their, you know, straight to home release. That's going to shake the theater world. Um, so yeah, mm. I'm all about straight to home releases. So by all mm. means, Universal, do it. Yeah. Do you plan That's on how watching? I saw Invisible Man? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, my my son's had it circled on the calendar for a month. Oh, nice. Yeah. Jarrett's had it circled for probably two months, right, Jarrett? <laughs> That's right, of course. <laughs> Just to one up your uh, your your kid. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're super stoked. So yeah, I'm definitely gonna be dropping uh, twenty bucks. I don't care. I'm I'm all about straight to home movies because you know not everybody nice. can go to the theater. Right. Nice. Even in the best of times. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's it. After the break, we're hopping on our bicycles and riding over <laughs> to the church to tend to the flock of creepstum. Of what? I don't know. Who? Okay. <laughs>
Qu'est-ce que je fais de mal Que me reproche-t-on D'être ce que vous êtes. Il n'a pas dormi d'Asta, que voulez-vous, mon enfant Les gens ne haïssent pas votre simplicité, ils sont des paroles. Je ne suis pas de ces types qui n'ont que le mot de justice à la bouche. Mais d'abord, je ne l'exige pas pour moi. Et à qui voulez-vous que je la demande, puisque je ne crois pas en Dieu Et vous mariez mmh. C'est moi qui n'ai pas voulu. Pourquoi À cause de ce qu'il est. Au salon, j'espérais toujours qu'il irait mieux, qu'il guérirait. Alors au cas où il aurait voulu un jour reprendre, je lui serais pas une cause d'ennui que je me disais. Vous êtes la cause involontaire, du moins inconsciente, d'un grand malheur. J'entends que la conversation que vous venez d'avoir avec ma fille soit la dernière. Comment ai-je été la cause d'un malheur Mon oncle a dû vous éclairer là-dessus. Il vous suffit de savoir que je n'approuve pas vos imprudences. Vos garçons n'en savent pas si long que vous. Ils croient Dieu solidaire d'une espèce de justice qu'ils méprisent parce que c'est une justice sans honneur. Mais leur loi a du moins le mérite de coûter cher. Très cher. Elle ressemble à la pierre du sacrifice. Rien qu'un caillou à peine plus gros qu'un autre caillou.
And we're back. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast, and tonight we're talking about Diary of a Country Priest from 1951, directed by Robert Brisson, and we're joined by friend of the show, Justin Peterson. Thanks, Justin. Hey there. Joining us. Um, A synopsis, no tagline this week for this Brisson minimalist transcendental film. An inexperienced, sickly priest shows up in the rural French community of Ambercourt, where he joins the community's clergy. But the locals don't take kindly to the priest, and his ascetic ways and unsociable demeanor make him an outcast. During Bible studies at the nearby girls' school, he is continually mocked by his students. Then his attempt to intervene in a family feud backfires into a scandal. His failures, compounded with his declining health, begin to erode his faith. So, this is a movie um, I've seen once before, and it's not that long ago. Um, I had kind of been turned on to this Robert Bresson director uh, from his movies Alhazar Balthazar, um, The Devil Always, and I I really, really enjoyed, uh, I guess, his later work, uh, A Man Escapes and stuff like that. I, I loved the subtlety of his filmmaking. Uh, the, the poeticness, this like low key emphasis on hands is a thing that pops up a lot, particularly with pickpocket, which we'll be watching someday soon. And, um, I remember I, I, at the time I had to track down a copy of this diary of a country priest because it sounded like it checked a lot of boxes. It's one of Paul Schrader's favorite movies. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, but it was out of print because that gosh, darn Studio Canal, they uh, all they, they took all those movies with them way like years ago now. So this is out of print and uh, currently is not even on the Criterion channel. So it's a pain in the butt to watch this. But fortunately, I guess I had bought this uh, a while back and uh, that came to the rescue for RJ's sake as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, yeah, the first time I watched this movie, though, I um, I don't know if I felt super crazy about it. It was, uh, it seemed, it was okay. It's a perfectly fine movie. Um, it was like kind of my initial kind of memory of it now. Um, but it's, uh, as I've talked about before uh, in the past on this podcast, this Winter Light, uh, a little movie called First Reformed, which is essentially a mashup mm. of Diary of a Country Priest and Winter Light. Um, mm-hmm. There's something, something about the subject matter that just does not, speak to me very much um, as an avowed atheist. <laughs> I was going to say, I think I understand why, but continue. Right. No, no. And I, I've gone back. I went through because, you know, I was like, you know what, though? It's not like I dislike the subject matter inherently. I, I actually really mm-hmm. like the movie Silence, uh, Scorsese's movie. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's examples of uh, these priestly movies. I mean, I'll, I'll watch The Exorcist, right? That counts. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. What about Jesus of Nazareth? Uh, do you like that movie? That Zinc- uh, Frank Zeffirelli one? I, I haven't seen it. I guess I'll have to wait till Easter. Mm. Well, we're all waiting to hear. <laughs> the preacher's wife. <laughs> so, there you go. So I, I watched it once and I watching. So I just obviously have to watch it again. And I uh, wasn't really looking forward to it. And the movie starts, and it, it seems almost, like, new. Like, I remember certain things. I remember the, the laid actor's face. I kind of remember beats and parts of it. And I'm like, okay, this is like, I'm on board with this a little bit more um, for the first 
half hour or so. But then, I don't know, something just happens with this movie where I just kind of, my interest wanes, and I'm like, huh, the tale of the priest. And it's like this ridiculousness of like kind of bad people, and like no matter what he does, he's trying to do the right thing. He's, I don't know, but actually the thing that probably bugs me the most with this though is the the use of the voiceover narration in the movie and the use of the, mm. like, the i find that it's, it's really like not it's not necessary and it's always i mean it's called diary of a country priest and so hey this priest is reading from his diary or, or we're hearing excerpts of it as he's working in it his own observations um but there's times where i don't know if it, it seems redundant and there's still like the music that I think Brasson really starts cutting out as he really starts becoming the minimalist and cutting out even like any sort of like cinematic flourishes and it just becomes what's on the screen uh, performance and he uses the non-professional actor starting here um, mm-hmm. but like there's this times where I was just like man this would be so much better if there was no voiceover um, which is just like I don't know I feel like a lot of the problems here are like things that are like very particular for me because on the whole when I look up what people think of this movie they love this movie they are in love with it uh, and I'm kind of like huh is is there something wrong with me and I, I don't I, I don't rule this out but yeah I don't know so I mean the plot of the movie um, I don't know I guess I could throw to either of you guys now uh, have either of you seen this movie before this week? Nope. What about you, Justin? No, this was a first-time watch. Um, ever since I had heard that uh, the first reform was um, inspired by this, it was always kind of on my radar. And um, the first time I came on the show, we were kind of fanboying out to uh, Fear and Loathing. So I definitely, my next experience, I wanted it to be a first-time watch. That was more challenging. And this certainly lived up to that because, um, yeah. So, uh, okay. I wish you guys had told me that this was a uh, first reformed uh, remake because I would have uh, actually Jarrett probably mentioned it a while ago, but I probably would have watched that movie. You're real, week. real down on that first reform, aren't you? I, Katie? I am. I um, I don't know. I I find the the message of the movie, like we were kind of talking about this earlier, um, is so like. You can't miss it. It's like it's so obvious, and I'm kind of like, huh? Like it just kind of so it just distracted me, and I felt like the movie just doesn't didn't work for me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But which like, so were you like, kind of looking from? You think it would more subtlety would have kind of a little more nuance? Is that what you were kind of looking for out of this? Like his well, later work? Yeah, like well, I mean, with uh, like Ross, yeah, with this I feel like it's very straightforward. Like I don't think it's like um, it's not even the nuance in Diary of a Country Priest that's lacking. I feel like it's a pretty minimal thing, but I feel like the the filmmaker that Brassant becomes later, uh, he's still mm-hmm. not there because like we have watched one Brassant movie since then uh, with the very uh, French title not uh mm-hmm. the english translation uh dame de le boulon however it is dame de uh, de bouillon there we go so yeah. th- that that was like kind of like just a fine movie and like it doesn't feel mm-hmm. at all like a person like it's like definitely a guy who is making movies the way that movies are being made and he's yeah. he's just learning the craft this is a transition point um where mm-hmm. he's still not where i want him to be i guess mm-hmm. is that fair i don't know sure. uh <laughs> 
But yeah, I had seen two uh, Brisson films before this. I had seen Althazar, Balthazar, oh. which I thought was pretty good, pretty grim. Yeah. Um, kind of a donkey being this metaphor for Christ. And then I was not impressed at all with Pickpocket. I mean, there was a few visual moments that I liked in Pickpocket, but it was just so subtle that that, that mm. one was kind of lost on me. Right. And so I thought this Diary of a Country Priest was much more in line with um, Balthazar. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, uh, the whole... Uh, so this has been one of those TCM foreign imports. And so if you look on YouTube, Ben Mankiewicz will give his little introduction to it. And he described it as like this ultra minimalist film, which I didn't necessarily agree with. But this is also coming from a guy that's seen Saint and Tango this year. <laughs> so um, I'm used to ultra, ultra slow, subtle, long takes and stuff. So maybe they, I'm, you know, I'm kind of shaping my taste in film. So, yeah, I'll, uh, pickpocket a little too subtle. Um, I actually thought this was extremely dialogue heavy. Um, and yeah. some mm-hmm. there there he's pretty subtle in how he kind of weaves plot beats into the to there to where whenever I kind of read more about the film after the fact, uh, it, it became more clear of what they were actually talking about, um, which we'll get to. Um, yeah, man, these these subtitles come at you fast and furious, and I'm kind of a slow subtitle reader. Um, did you guys ever have to pause and be like, "What did they say?" Uh, I I didn't have that. I mean, I okay. I will say that I watch a lot of movies with subtitles uh, as as it comes with this job. But even beforehand, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm I feel like whatever the um, acu- uh, acclimation it is to doing subtitles, I'm pretty good. Though once in a while, uh, what's there's certain languages that don't translate to mm-hmm. English translation mm-hmm. very well, and so it, that might so, be part of it. I, I, yeah, yeah, because I've been a, a pretty down on a lot of French films, and maybe it is because their subtitles are more wordy or whatever. Like you watch a film like Parasite, and you the subtitles basically disappear as you're getting into those performances where this, it was every single word. I mean, it's, and there's all this religious talk, but like philosophy and stuff. And maybe that's why I was trying to really get each word in. So, right, right. um, I, uh, I don't know how to read. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I what never, was it about? <laughs> I, I don't know what any of this movie is about, but actually as a fun little aside, I was watching some Paul Nashy movies last month uh, and uh, I never talked about them on the podcast, but um, they're Italian movies and they have subtitles, but they also had a dub track. So just for the sake of it, I threw the dub track on too with the subtitles. And I did notice that there was like, there was actually yeah, I've seen that before. A, a difference. And like some of them were minor, but some of them were so strange. It's like, why would you change it to this instead mm-hmm. of that? So uh, I, I have noticed that like, like kind of what Jared was like hinting at a little bit some of those languages the translation with the subtitles is it can get a little sticky this is this it's a big uh thing with uh blu-ray collectors too because Mm. there's there's some debate with like with movies what they'll have is sometimes you will have like say an english dub and then you'll have subtitles for the movie which you would assume Mm. is like a translation of what's the uh, actual like foreign language, I guess, or the the the, mm-hmm. nat- the natural language. But sometimes they just use the subtitles for the English dub, which is not very good in the first place. And mm-hmm. it it can be a uh, kind of like it, it makes the completionist who wants the pure experience uh, completely sullied because it's like sometimes you gotcha. get re- you get really bad writing uh, sometimes with those dubs because they're trying to just match what the words are uh, that they're being said or rather than like the meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. One movie that actually the dubs really enhanced it was I was watching Police Story uh, one, and yeah, the dub on that is is hilariously bad, and I almost thought it made the movie funnier because of how off and zanky it was. Yeah. But anyways, back to this glum, recently <laughs> movie. Glum movies. Um, in terms of the visual slot style. For this being like a 19, what's 1951 black and white, it looked a lot older than that to me. Was is Am I crazy? Now, no, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, I it mean, definitely like, needs a uh, restoration like a upgrade on this thing. I, I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the style, I really love the on um, the slow introspective fades. I think that was the key like technique he was using, and it definitely kind of played into how the character was, uh, you know. You know, kind of reflecting on his situation there, stuck in this parish where essentially, you know, he's doing everything he can, but you, he's really, he's not handling the parishioners' um, more gossipy, more not as devoted aspect as you know what he wants. Um, I guess I'll go ahead and get into it. So, so he has stomach cancer, mm-hmm. and back to back weeks, the Criterion Collection. Um, yep. Between Ikaru and uh, Diary of a Country Priest, he got stomach cancer. And so he only eats um, bread and wine, which is clearly a metaphor for communion, the the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And so it's pretty cool that essentially all he is doing is consuming Christ in his life. I mean, if you want to think about it real realistically yeah he's you know he has a terrible like whatever is going on with his stomach and he's taking in all this acid and that doesn't make what any sense whatsoever but yeah in terms of it like looking at it the fact that he's constantly taking in the blood and the body of christ i mean that's pretty awesome metaphor plus i don't know uh out there who else is listening but uh (laughs) as a, a good catholic boy some some of the churches did the communion a little different. Some places would yeah. be wafers and wine. We had a couple churches up here that would give the little piece of bread soaked in wine, and they would okay. they pick it up with a spoon and they'd flick it into your mouth. So like oh. when he was talking about bread soaked in wine, I was just like, I know what you're talking about, man. I was like, they used to flick yep. that shit right down your throat, like. <laughs> just yeah, like, I grew up Lutheran, so um, yeah, well, so, almost the same. About. Everyone yeah, knows except down. for Jarrett because he's a heathen <laughs> sinner. Well, I was just gonna say uh, Lutheran. I guess, yeah, that's right up the uh, Paul Schrader alley. I think that's how mm. he, that's, that's how that guy was raised. Mm-hmm. Uh, Schrader was a was it Calvinist or Calvinist? Or, Sorry, uh, you're, he's a Calvinist. Yeah, I got I, into I, all, whenever I was researching about Last Temptation, he was talking about his Calvinism and it's coming at religion from a much more um, <laughs> ideological intellectual point of view so um right. yeah no no worries there bergman and um another one another guy was a lutheran i don't think tarkovsky bergman and somebody else um and yeah i'm, I'm curious to hear more about your comparisons to winter light because i haven't seen bergman's um what religious like crisis of faith movies yet so i'm really it's curious to very, see how these relate it's plot it's plot ish so because so Okay, I mean, this is kind of getting into territory we're talking about first reformed. So, with the diary of a country priest, it's the obviously it's the uh, it's the stomach cancer like throw mm-hmm. line, um, but then and, and the diary, those are the kind of the two major things. But it's combined with from winter light, which is uh, it's kind of a man who's kind of questioning uh, his own faith, but one of his he has a conversation with a parishioner who's played by Mox Van Sydow, and. Um, 
the, he's like completely fallen into this uh, rut of like he can't get over the fact that nuclear weapons could fall on us at any moment, and he he obsesses about it. He's got a wife. His wife actually brings him in to talk to the priest, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's not able to actually convince him otherwise because his faith is kind of like mm, shaken anyway, and the guy kills himself, and then so you kind of have these two kind of things conflate into the first reformed, and then it turns into its own thing because obviously instead of uh, nuclear weapons being dropped on us, it's environmental uh, calamity, and mm. and sort of like also the uh, power of. Uh, corporations or money in mm-hmm. regards to the church and how they can influence it. So it has like a, like another element to it that's mm-hmm. contemporary, but like there's like those two major factors of like, this is the story. This is how you tell priest stories, I guess, in this sort of like yeah. the, in the classic oeuvre. I mean, both movies are uh, like within 20 films or whatever in the criterion collection. Mm-hmm. So they're in the, the film canon. And so, if, and I was also hearing the comparison where they were saying that Schrader might've based um, Travis Bickle off of this guy a little bit. And right. I'm not, I'm not exactly seeing that lineup. I yeah, I mean that kind of it feels like a Bresson kind of thought process. I'm not specifically this because there is like the there's the Travis Bickle narration, but mm, beyond sure. that, yeah, I I don't know. It, it seems like it's a lot of influence. It's influenced by all these things uh, yeah. for him. And, and personally, I don't have any problem with the voiceover. I I, I love those uh, Nick Cage films where you know oh. he's. You know, talking all about what he's doing and well, yeah, no, I like in bringing out the dead or something like that. Like, I love okay, I, or like Goodfellas. I love like I have no problem with voiceover narration. Okay. I just I just found that in Diary of a Country Priest, I felt mm-hmm. it didn't add a lot because there's like literally a scene where he's like waiting in the room to meet the rich man, and uh, mm-hmm. he's like, and then he came to the door, and then he literally comes to the door. I'm like, oh. why? Like, this would be so much better mm-hmm. if if you took that out. And so it's kind of curious. Uh, Does it come with the territory of it being an adaptation from a book that's based all on diary entries? Where it's, you know, read the entry, play out the scene, read the entries, play out the scene, that formula. seems like it's almost essential in actually recreating that. I I know I've read some people mention uh, in passing in some of the reviews how they felt that there was some good – contrast like they, they would play like how something is written in the word and then there's a con there's a juxtaposition to how it actually played out in the scene but i never i was never convinced of that personally but yeah i didn't really notice that no. if anything a lot of the oh go ahead rj oh no no you finish your thought and then i'll i'll chime in um i noticed in a few instances where they would talk about things really subtly so we can go ahead and dive into the fat his like he's being accused of being a drunkard and then, like, they would kind of, like, softly mention that, like, in the dialogue. And then after the fact, whenever he was writing something, it would be a little bit more blatant. Which, I mean, I kind of appreciated that because I kind of missed it the first time around. Um, there's also this really interesting idea that I'm wrapping my mind around where the fact that um, they keep hinting at the fact that I guess his family had a history of alcoholism. Um, like, the doctor's, like, teasing him that his, like, I guess fa- – he like came from a drunk family. Um, Which, so yeah. I guess that's like a genetic thing. Is that what they're getting at there? Yeah, I, 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 mm-hmm. I saw that that bit too kind of threw me. I'm like, are they saying something about like fetal alcohol syndrome like or something like that? Like, I don't know. Yeah, like the idea of a crack baby where you'd be more susceptible to um, addiction. But I don't think so. I think fetal alcoholism has just to do with um, you become impaired, unfortunately, those, those poor kids um, when that happens. I'm not really sure. I think it's more... I'm th- I'm leaning more toward the genetic side, where if you have a family that's really into alcoholism, it 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 passes down the line. Al- alcoholism does have a genetic uh, like component to it. It does. 
So that that's like a proven thing that they've talked about. Whereas like, yeah, fetal alcohol syndrome, that's just like the like acute exposure to alcohol in utero. So mm-hmm. there's there's like and it causes deformities, right? Uh, well, it causes like a few different things. Like you can, what it can even like come out to later. It's just like certain like um, impairments in uh, like brain development, which can lead to like learning impairments or yeah. uh, like things like memory or social interactions and things like that. Where so that's where it comes. That's mm-hmm. where it gets like expressed in behavior is uh, impairments to like brain and uh, like structure development. I mean, do you think that could have been the case for our priest? I mean, he's definitely a little social inept, but um, otherwise, I think he's a pretty sly guy. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I did kind of think it as uh, they're just – I think it's even less than any – like, because this would be before genetic, like, confirmation of certain things. I think they're just like mm-hmm. – it's probably mm-hmm. like your dad was a drunk you're going to be a drunk too, like uh, apple far fallen from the tree type mm-hmm. of situation. Cause that's just how people base well, their well, opinions on stuff. A, a couple quotes from the, um, I guess the lead parishioner, like, um, whenever he gets like some consultant, um, about his situation, I think he says something to the fact that the church doesn't care if you're loved, just that you're obeyed. Um, so that was very poignant. And then he, he told he basically tells him to stop being so fussy and to take better care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, the, 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 the priest definitely has a hard time wrapping his mind in the fact that he's not more beloved and he's more of a nuisance by the fact that he's taking interest in these people. Yeah. Which probably leads into the, the scandal a little bit because that is kind of the between the scandal and then like the kids picking on him. That's most the interactions that he has. Right. Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, he has his little, um, his like debriefings with the, the higher up priest, then right. yeah, the community interactions and then, yeah, the young, the, the class that he teaches. And then, the, and then the guy who looks after him as he, uh, exits the world. Well, yeah, we all need a guy like that. No, Jerry. <laughs> That's right. Was but... it just, was there some homer homoerotic vibes going on with him? There always is on this podcast. Because <laughs> um, he's saying like, oh, we could have been getting with women, but we as intellectuals or something. And he's, I don't know, like in all like, the listening and reading I've done, I haven't heard that mentioned, but that definitely stood out to me. I think that's more of a uh, man, man of the cloth thing where it's just <laughs> abstinence in general from everything where it's just like, I think they're like, yeah, we could be just boning down with broads left and right, but it's like we're above boning okay. in general nice. is what is the is the intent. They, they, right, should, they should get you to write those screenplays. I, I'd love to write a screenplay for the uh, for like the church or, you know, just for anyone. If I uh, say Quentin Tarantino needs some help beefing up one some, of his get some pointers. Yeah, I, I, I would give him some tips. I think my favorite part about this was the script. I thought it had a really, really strong, um, amazing script, especially whenever he is confronting the uh, lady who has essentially lost faith because her little boy died, and he's kind of like making, get, helping console her and bring her back into like belief. And um, man, there's a, there's definitely a war, war. I was pretty captivated watching that kind of war of words go down. Um, so I thought that was one of the stronger parts. And then the end kind of tails off. But um, we'll get there. It's like a Kevin Smith movie with the the war war of words there. <laughs> the war of words. 
Uh-huh. Um, yeah, he definitely gets full of despair. Nobody wants him around. He's he's doing your, doing his best. Everybody just thinks he's a drunk. I know what that, that feels like. Communion. Uh-huh. <laughs> and what does he say? At one point, God has left me. I'm sure of this. But I never really felt like it's a crisis of faith. It seemed like he's, he was pretty steadfast in what he did. I uh, I agree with that. Where it doesn't it doesn't totally seem like I don't think that he's lost his religion REM style. I think he's more just like I don't want to say bored, but he's just like I don't feel good and I don't really know how to describe it. So I'm just gonna like kick around, kick rocks, and mm-hmm. you know, like that kind of thing. He's like, do I question my beliefs? And he's like, well, no. So it's like he kind of pitter patters around it for a while. Yeah, sad bastard. Was he was he a sad bastard? Katie? I don't know. I don't know if I'd consider him a f- sad bastard. <laughs> Those criteria they uh, they knock out a lot of things you he, think I mean, would fit. Yeah. He seems like moderately successful. I mean, he is like a he is a priest of some success. He's reached some level of success, and then you kind of see his like, hey, this this line of work uh, can really stink and uh, not be such an easy mm-hmm. ride, which I don't understand. Like, I, which. Yeah. Again, I don't know enough about this uh, world, and I don't know. It's not one that I'm really uh, interested in. Yeah. Um, So I think my favorite little shot in this movie um, is right after the the doctor's funeral for his uh, maybe suicides happened, and Mm -hmm. he's uh, our protagonist. He's riding up on his bike uh, to like Mm -hmm. like the congregation or like whatever the funeral's getting out, and there's like this banner that's in the background across the church. I guess Mm -hmm. it's got the big D on it, and then they're having this conversation about like, oh well, do you think he did kill himself? And if he killed himself, well, what does that mean? And it's like, well. He just thought, that's tough. That's kind of his deal. And then just like in the background, though, there's just like this, whatever's going on, you see that thing kind of de- getting uh, the the giant banner getting taken down and it's just getting wrapped around. I was like really interested in what was going on in the background because it seems like hmm. just be playing around this like, uh, like it's just another day um, in this whole process of existence. And mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. to me, I'm like that. To me, is like yeah, that that I really loved that small detail because it's just a background thing uh, that's included. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I found that a lot of the movie is like very foregrounded uh, because the movie opens up with him arriving to the town, and then we get like the again rich man with the uh, woman he's carrying on with, yeah. and, they, and they, you don't know who they are initially. But at first, you think they're just like these like people that were like necking in the woods, and then they see a priest, and then they go, "Oh well, I, I guess we should uh, stop doing that." Yeah. And that's like kind of this idea that like that's probably this probably happens a lot with a, a priest. Like no one wants to be themselves around a priest, and you have to wind you as a priest, you probably wind up getting used to this. Uh, perspective in, of the world where everyone looks mm-hmm. at you like you're like a cop, mm-hmm. but you're like the the, yeah, the, the, the spiritual cops. Mm-hmm. There were some great wide shots in the beginning, showing showing like the trees kind of oh, yeah. like all around him, and he's in this this big black cloak. Um, I had I heard a lot of people um, mention how they kind of got a seventh seal vibe out of um, you know seeing him approach like that. It's definitely a very um, iconic wardrobe he has going on um i guess we should probably mention what is it the daughter who she's really so i guess the main plot of the movie is the fact that yeah the rich guy is having an affair and um you know cheating on the mom and then the daughter is real distressed about this 
And then there's an interesting encounter between the priest and the daughter. And he basically can see it on her face that the fact that she wants to kill herself and she makes him like she demands that she hand him over the um, the suicide note or whatever. Pretty, pretty subtly done, done really well. Um, I never really got a, I never really grasped why he took such an interest in her. Because, I mean, didn't he, like, confront her father and be like, man, she, like, looks really sad. And he's like, don't be ridiculous. She's fine. So um, maybe just kind of covering up his own indiscretions. Hmm. One thing I'm just noticing uh, looking over the actual ca- uh, character list is, like, they don't mm-hmm. have names, really. Like, there's, like, the priest, the count, the priest of Torsi, the the countess. Like, I mean – Speaking of minimalism, it's just like it is like they even stripped down that like some I mean, obviously characters do have names in the movie as well. But the protagonist, like your principal four characters, they're just priest. <laughs> it's like, that's it. Yeah. That's just a element of Catholicism, Jared. There is no individual. We are all one within Christ. Ah, there you go. Do, you, do you follow? Nope. No, you will. Event. You'll get there eventually, yep. buddy. You'll get me one of these days. I'll get you there eventually. So is it time to talk about powdered poison in a glass for fun? <laughs> just, sure. Just a little bit. You just drink a little bit. That's all you need. Yeah. He's falling all over himself. He falls in the mud. And yeah, the little girl's like, yeah, they poisoned you. Yeah. Good mm-hmm. on you. <laughs> so. Are you saying that you've never been poisoned by your community members? Because frequently I, I have a lot of allergic reactions to uh, communal <laughs> drinks that uh, I, I've indulged in. You just find all these these little instances relatable there, RJ. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I'm living life over here, my man. Before this so- social – well, even with the social distancing, uh, I hang out in my basement. I got two cats. I, I make a lot of uh, – like – I don't know. We do a lot of pretend. Like we have a pretend grocery store. We have a pretend like city hall, you know, dispute <laughs> parking tickets, things like that. It's not a lie if you believe it, Justin. There you go. Um, and then he, what he heads out of town, he wants to get what a, a better opinion. And so what he, uh, he hops a ride on that motorcycle and zoom off to town. And then that motorcycle guy's like, man, you're real awkward. You're, you're pretty socially inept there, bud. He is. He is a very just like, uh, just like me. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it's too, maybe this is all just too relatable for me. Probably that's. I mean, uh. yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess my so my question is, uh, what, what do you you guys think of this movie? Jay Peterman, do you want to take it? I know your last name is not Peterman, but uh, I so I just think of Seinfeld when uh, I talk to you. So, um. Yeah, I, I enjoy the most of it. I think it's an excellent script. Um, I love a lot of the visuals in terms of how it um, shows how introspective he is. I, I would definitely give this like around four stars. I think this is an excellent film. Although the the la- it didn't need to be two hours. I think this this clearly is probably a, ni- a 90 minute joint that they kind of stretched <laughs> out towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it definitely it goes on at uh, a little bit, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed it overall once I was able – actually, it took me two sittings to get through it. I watched the first 45 minutes, and it was pretty late at night, and I just was not being able to follow along with the subtitles. And so the following day, I kind of picked it back up, and I was getting into those conversations. And, yeah, I thought it was very – really good show. Um, it's pretty inconclusive in terms of, like, being a religious film because, I mean, it's mostly just about this guy, and it's just – you know, he's doing what he needs to do, but no one accepts him, and he just – Kind of has a sad bastard life, kind of 
down and out. I love that uh, shot, you know, as he's about to die, how they have the, the cross uh, silhouette come up. Right. That was, was pretty good. Um, yeah, that's about all I got. I thought it was an excellent film. I liked it better than Pickpocket. Yeah, um, so I I think it's a good show. I think first and foremost, it is entirely too long. Yes. It's way too long. They could cut easy half an hour out of this thing, and I think it would be like way more enjoyable. Uh, so I actually I actually enjoyed watching this movie quite a bit, but like I got bogged down because I was like liking it. I was like, yeah, I was like, this thing's got to end soon. And then I like <laughs> checked the time, and it's like an hour and five minutes. I was like, there's that, 50 minutes left. Yeah. I was there, like, God damn. I feel like the point for me was like when he has the talk with like the senior senior. Yeah. Uh, priest or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I go, I'm like, okay, this movie's got to be like probably winding down in the next half hour. It's like, oh no, oh no, this is halfway. And you're like, are you, yeah. what? But there's nothing else to do. Like you've, mm-hmm. you've done it all. And then it's just like, so I, that's where I was just like kind of resentful. I think being like, okay, enough of the, enough of you movie. I've had enough of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think yeah. that's like the major knock against it is it is it's it's just too long because there's a lot of stuff that drags. And this would be my comment. You've both talked about narration. Mm-hmm. I think the problem with the narration is that while it happens, the characters are just staring at each other in silence. And I found at certain segments it becomes noticeable as an audience member because there's a, a part where it's like it's like the narration is going on and the people just like stop acting so that it, the, cause they were probably told it's like, okay, hold this for like 20 seconds. Cause this is where the narration is going to come in. And there is a scene where it's like the priest is just kind of s- standing there just, uh, <laughs> just for, for like what feels like an eternity. And, and like they do address it too, where like one of the scenes, the lady's talking and then his narration cuts in and like, she's still talking. And then, She's like, did you hear what I said? And he's like, no, I, I didn't hear any of that. So they they do kind of like address it to a mm-hmm. point where they're like, no, he's just like not hearing them. He's off in his own mind. Right. But I mm-hmm. think sometimes it gets brought up and it's like noticeable. So that was the thing that I thought about it. It was pretty but, clever, uh, like towards the end. The narration tails off a little bit as he becomes more sickly and yeah. able to write less, right? Yep. Yeah, definitely. And so I think there's a few things like that. Uh, I've mentioned a few times I do like uh, these priestly th- movies where it's like questions about what is good and bad. And I, I, I just like some of the quotes that they have in these movies. Like there's one quote mm-hmm. where he's talking about uh, a day's work undone by night. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was like, that's got nice deep Catholic connotations <laughs> in it. And I just I love it so much. Uh, because I think it like it's a nice way to parallel people, Jarrett. People. There's another one he's talking about how the simplest tasks are by no means the easiest, and that's not Catholic. But I was like, hey, I like that. That's a nice little uh, sentiment there. But there's all this talk of suffering. Anecdote. Yeah, an anecdote. All this talk of suffering, God's misery, eternal separation, and I was like, oh yeah. I was like, lap that over me because I just eat it up. So I love all these like big ethereal like doomsday things or just like, well, I, I love when he's talking to the older priest and the older priest's like, maybe God doesn't want you to be happy. And I was like, oh, oh, 
you just you just want to knock over everything in your desk. You're like, oh, I love it. It's beautiful. Um, so I, I really like those aspects of it. I do like a lot of the dialogue. I think it's too long, and I think that's mm. like one of the major knocks against it. Um, I also think the priest looks like Joey and Chandler mixed together from Friends. Joey and Chandler. Both of them mixed together, which is weird. Uh, and then yeah. you guys were talking about how we have two cancer movies in a row. Uh, I just got a targeted ad on Reddit today for colon cancer checkup. So I don't know what's happening, but uh, apparently the world's trying to steer us in a certain direction, Jarrett. There's more than one C to worry about still. Mm-hmm. Which one? The <laughs> Co- big C? Well, COVID, cancer. Oh, I'm pretty sure it's not. It's not like COVID's taken over uh, all the diseases and ways of dying. Uh, There's all the other ones still too. We gotta we gotta take care of ourselves, you know. Go get a colonic. So we, go get go okay. get that go get that uh, that colon checked. Sure. So how did you say this stacked up to those Bergman films? Uh, well, I don't. I think the Bergman films are better, yeah. but. Uh, I think that's just because Ingmar Bergman is an incredible pervert, and uh, it shows in his films. And uh, that's the style yeah. and grace that you want in your storytelling. Okay. Yeah. Plus, he was—I think he was a much more experienced filmmaker by the time he got around to that. I think this is one of Bresson's early works. Yeah, it's right before he gets into the swing of things. I—I I think, but it's like it's like right on the cusp, and then he, then it's mm-hmm. all. I think it's uphill from there. Um, for the most part, yep. uh, then like you, you watch like his uh, last movie, L'Argent, which I think is just money. Um, and that movie is like very like eighties European. It doesn't even feel like a movie being made by this guy who's making these minimalist movies in the fifties and sixties, but it is, yeah. it is completely stripped out everything. Like there's just scenes that you're like, that would be there normally, but no, there's like, it's just very elliptical. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Actually it's very similar to like a Michael Haneke movie. Um, oh, like some okay. continent, Southern Continent, or something like that, or uh, Benny's okay. videos, but yeah, um, okay. Cool. But you, but you would recommend a uh, Man Escaped? Yes, I, I think I think that one should work. Yeah, I think that'll that, be my next one. I think I think that one will work better for you. I think I I, I mean I haven't seen anyone really uh, not like that movie. So you got that? You can challenge me on that one. You can be the first and be like, Jarrett, this movie stinks. <laughs> I'll buy pickpocket on that, but um, <laughs> nice. So, want to hear about who hates this movie? Yeah, buddy. Sure. Okay, RJ, you ready? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. First up, we've got Craigers with one star. I guess I have to play the role of Philistine here and admit that I did not enjoy this movie even a little bit. In my attempt to watch all 300-and-something movies on Roger Ebert's great movies list, I have now had to endure four of director Bresson's films. I'm not going to attempt to argue that his films are anything but great, but they are definitely not to my taste. Please let this be the final Bresson movie in Ebert's list for me to watch. Uh, first stop in uh, Krager's favorite films is five stars to Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Wow. <laughs> Much to the chagrin of Frank Santoro, I am sure. Uh, but on they the also, train. yeah, it's it's just all there. Five stars to Arrival, Jared's favorite movie. Open Range for some reason, but like other <laughs> other religious thrillers like Ordet, he gave five stars. Passion of Joan of Arc, five stars. So or Whoever this person is, they're all over the map, you guys. All over the map. Uh, you know what, though? I think a, a good cinephile should be all over the map. 
Sure, sure. Yeah. Maybe you got a good point there. Verse, got, got, got some like Ordet. Who, who, who made Ordet? That's another kind of religious filmmaker, uh, right? Dreyer. Dreyer. I hadn't seen any of his stuff yet. Watchwall, Passion of the Joan of Arc. That's uh. I mean, oh yeah, I have seen that one. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's I mean, that's early, early of his though. But yeah, and there's his later stuff. Um, yeah, what would I? I'm trying to think of which one was the the one to go with of that, or that de- definitely not Gertrude. <laughs> Gertrude, it's a good show. Next, good, good show, Jared. Next up, uh, JP. 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 Ooh. One star. Just sounds like a bunch of pious bitching to me. Admittedly, that's probably what you would find in a priest's diary. But the film falls flat mm-hmm. on its face when it inexplicably backs up the main character, something noticeably avoided in the rather similar pickpocket. Superfluous shots, painful music choices, an unfilmably miraculous conversion scene, and an ending the film in no way earns killed this one unequivocally for me. Very surprising because for me, Bresson is the most ambiguous of directors. Chalk this one up to his not fully developed style, I guess. Now, at least I get why people assign trite Christian messages to his other films. This approach still seems Mm. unnecessary, though, seeing as his style later became so essential that it shed inherent meaning entirely, as opposed to this in La Dame de de Le Bon, which strike me as being simply meaningless. Bresson certainly doesn't have a sunny worldview, but that is the only thing you can Mm -hmm. say for sure about most of his films. That's the interesting thing about his style. It's so ambiguous that even his own opinions don't count. Bresson is most like a painter in this respect. Sure, afterwards you can do research about the religion and biography, but the first thing you can see is paint on a wall that means whatever you bring to it. Hmm. I find it interesting that... opinions there. Yeah. I find it weird that they say the trite Christian, uh, like under or whatever the the word was they used there. I was like, I think in this case they'd be overtones. Yeah, (laughs) it's what it's about. This uh, so this JP person. Oh, so so what they meant was okay. To make that clear, I guess it's like a lot of people because of this movie they start taking the same. They, 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 the guy thinks that they start applying this Christian message to his other movies because of this. And in those contexts, it's trite. I think that I don't think he's saying this one is trite. He's saying that like sometimes uh. make, people make some stretches and they're like, well, all his mm-hmm. movies have this because of this movie. And I think he means those ones are trite. I, right. I, I, to, to defend this person, I do not know. I think that's what mm-hmm. he meant to say. I think that's a I gotcha. clear way of saying it. Yeah. I gotcha. That makes more sense. Uh, this person, whoever they are, has. 2,000, 1,700 five-star films and 1,200 one-star films. Oh. Their email is jpvonmayer, M-A-Y-E-R, at gmail.com. If anyone would like to contact them, uh, it's just made there available for us. So uh, there you go. They only uh, – I don't even know how to like – wade through this stuff you guys there's two thousand five stars two thousand one stars they get vanilla sky one star that's not right seventh seal one star the magician one star don't like bergman apparently um dead poet society one star Aww. i don't know lots of nightmare on elm, elm streets one star i think we all agree those aren't one star films right Jer? hereditary one star maybe they're onto something that's not right. <laughs> I don't know. It's not, it's not. It's definitely not a one-star movie. No, but yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, I, I I know some people talk about like 
it's it's like not giving a rating at all where you either don't like it or like it five star or one star but nah i don't know i don't know and finally just one brief one bumpkin one in one and a half star sadly tastes like stale bread you know they only have five words and they still spelt one of them wrong i i noticed that that was nice uh, this, uh, they just watched this, uh, a week ago. Yep. This diary of a country priest. They also just gave Truman show a half a star. Favorite films include Midsommar and Ichi the killer, Ooh, the corpse yeah. favorite. I didn't see that one. Uh, five stars to raw five stars to Salo. Uh, the only other two five star films are your name, the anime and the Terminator. Huh? Half star films. What what is this? Truman Show, Lost in Translation, Rosemary's Baby, Gone Girl, La La Land, and then Cats. What are we doing here, guys? <laughs> what, 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 what are we doing? I don't know. I don't know. Most people are hate watching Cats, aren't they? Yeah. I think so. It's like yeah. I need to dip it's... into that that pool at some point. So uh, silly. One of these days. Well, uh, any last thoughts on this? priest from the country uh catholicism woo lutheran <laughs> solidarity oh. jared oh man nailing those things to some door somewhere right that's the Just lutheran in time thing for easter yeah. oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. diet di- diet of the worm i don't know Ooh. <laughs> baby after the break um i don't know I'm gonna. I I'll die. I'll die this time, RJ. I, I don't. I don't want to kill our co or guest host either. So I'll. I'll die. I will die. The warm bedside of the, your intellectual friend. Yes, of RJ. That's right. And uh, call call it a day. Intellectual friend. Social distancing. Yeah. I've never been called such kind things before. <laughs> nope. This is, you, it's a special you, day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> RJ, when are you going to watch First Reform? Hmm? Did you know that uh, basketball was invented in Canada? <laughs> you can they, email us at criteriancrease at gmail.com. Use uh, peach and, baskets. And tell us when basketball was invented. When, when, when was it invented, RJ? We 1814. Uh, Washington invented it, and uh, he got game. There you and go. Spike Lee. I'm uh well Jared, you're you're a fool if you don't know that it was invented no wait, that's the NBA. Eighteen ninety one, wait a minute. They're saying it was invented in Massachusetts. 
you know what by I a Canadian physical educator. Whoa. My story is going sideways here, boys. Um, I, you know what I didn't get to mention earlier is I huh. drank scotch whiskey for the very first time. Uh, you don't know. You don't know. Uh, it's a little Johnny Walker action? No, 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 no. This is some some Scottish whiskey from Yarborough Cask Whiskey. I, I uh, had a sniff of it. It tasted like burning dirt. Um, it's awful. And that it does. It's, it's awful. It makes you feel, it'll make it feel good. It'll make you feel real good. That peat moss, Jarrett. Oh, peat moss. So much peat uh, moss. Just that peat moss. Will you tell uh, me when you want to drink and uh, you can teach me how to read and I'll show you how to drink. Wow. I had a little swig of that uh, Johnny Walker 100 proof right before just to get that acidic feeling in my gut while Ooh. talking about this one. <laughs> there you go. Well, folks, we've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. I'm Jaron Duncan. RJ's Barnloaf. And Justin uh-huh. is... Um, I'm MovieJustin198 on uh, Twitter. Please check out my Letterbox. I'm on there writing all the time. And I got a podcast. We just hit 20 episodes. We're heading into a new season. Uh, first episode of that should hopefully hit next week. Um, we're the Average Joe's Movie Clubcast. Just look for us on YouTube or on Buzzsprout, I believe, is the platform there. Uh, we're going to do a musical episode. Uh, we're going to feature Dancer in the Dark and The Umbrellas of Shoreborg, which inspired La La Land. My um, co-host, Joey Poiters, yeah, he's a big fan of La La Land. Wanted to see inspiration for that. Please join us. We'd love to hear from you. Nice. Look, how, look how professional that sounded compared to us, RJ. What's, I don't, what do you mean professional? Uh, wait, do we, like, what's the name of our podcast? Shame my shameless promotions. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. We are the Farts and Butts podcast. Yep. And we're on YouTube, and we have a Patreon. Where Do we? You, listener, could pay us money to be in the spot that Justin will be occupying for another, like, 45 seconds. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, all, Uber. Tumblr, all the Tumblers and Ubers. We're on Uber Eats. Sure. You can, we yeah, can Uber deliver Eats. to your door. Uh, uh-huh. And next week... Spine 223, just for you and me, RJ. Barbet Schroeder's Matrice from 1976. Is this the one with the gorillas? Nope. Uh, it's got that, Depar- that. It's got that Depardo. It's got some, and it's got a dominatrix. Oh. Did you? Oh. Did Did you make this movie? Nope. But the but the man who brought us down. General Idi Amin Dada did. When does Coco come up in the Criterion Collection? Not for a while. You you wake me up when we get there. I'll let Justin Peterson take it away for the next forever. <laughs> Send your Patreon money to me directly, not to Jarrett. And uh, I'm what is what is it to be on our show? Two thousand five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, pesos, no. shekels, bells. All Be- right, so bells. <laughs> yes. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, thanks, man. Woo. Check him out. Bye, RJ. My John boy. And good night, all. Woo! 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 I'm sure if we had ended yet. <laughs>